0: This is the Lasso Lowdown. We're giving the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. Spencer, we're in the back half of Season 2. We are on Season Uh 2, Episode 6, The Signal. Spencer, I think we're going to continue this podcast. I want you to do the recap. I want it all to go as normal, but at some point during it, I'm going to give you a sign, and then I want you to be a prick. Are you ready for it?
1: (laughs) Do you need to really give me a sign to be a prick? Isn't this kind of the state I always operate in? (laughs)
0: What an episode we've got in front of us, Spencer. We uh, have purposefully not spoken about the episode. I'm very interested to hear your take. What did you think? I felt like this was a very different episode than the ones we've had before. So I'm very interested to hear what you thought.
1: Well, let me first, before I even go to my opinions, let me say I am here for you. I know this is a rough time for you. I know that this episode just piled the disappointment atop your shipping heart. I'm your friend, man you never want to talk about this or work through it i'm around
0: so spencer is alluding to the fact that i've been shipping ted and rebecca i'm not sure that it really puts the kibosh on ted and rebecca dude i i know I, no, I really don't we'll get into it but I, I i absolutely don't think it puts the kibosh on that i think it was a downer of an episode in a lot of ways though and i felt like it was not of the same flavor of other episodes this season it was very much a, a big change of pace and um You know, I'll go ahead and I'm not going to bury the lead. I wasn't as crazy about it. Uh, You know, up until now, I've been telling you this is way better than season one for me. You know, some Mm. of these were my favorite episodes of the series. I'm not saying this is a bad episode. It certainly isn't up there for me. What did you think?
1: This is where you and I differ on what we get out of this show. Right. The way way we kind kind of predict coming. For me, this was a return to form for season one kind of feel of where I finally was able to find and feel the through line. Each episode previously felt like enjoyable, good, fun but very self-isolated, very self-contained, without really much connecting to an overarching plot for the season. This brought a lot of those threads together and delivered an effectively dramatic episode in a way I very much enjoyed. It wasn't at all the funniest episode, certainly wasn't the most fun, but I found it probably the most impactful one yet in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you alluded to it. I mean, I watched the show for the comedy for the most part, and I felt like the comedy was... Definitely taking a backseat this episode. Not to say there wasn't funny moments. I feel like Roy was peak Roy this episode. Shout out to my guy, Roy, carrying the episode from a comedic standpoint. But it certainly wasn't the funniest episode.
1: Written by Roy, too.
0: Oh, wow. How about that? Well, no wonder he got a lot of lines that he's putting a lot of lines in for himself. Okay. Well, that's our initial thoughts of the episode. We, of course, will go into much more and our segments. We have segments galore here on the Lasso Lowdown. We'll start with Biscuits Biscuits with the Boss, where Spencer brings a dessert to the podcast. I do Tea Time with Lee, where I attempt to convince our American audience that tea is not quite as bad as Ted thinks it is. Then we'll go into a recap, which Spencer leads every week, heroically, banging out the notes, walking step-by-step through the recap. Then we'll go into Trainwreck of the episode and the Sports Center Top 10, where we talk about 10 things we liked about the episode every week. Not 11, not 9, 10 on the nose every week that we liked about the episode. And we conclude with a very sincere segment. And this week, look, it's got to be sincere. This is a pretty serious oh, yeah. episode. Some heavy stuff was being addressed, and that is life lessons with Ted, where we talk through a few life lessons that the episode taught us. Before we get into all that and more, a little housekeeping here on The Lasso Lowdown. If you enjoy hearing me and Spencer Gab, you like hearing us talk, we have plenty of content out there. Just go to your favorite podcast platform. Whatever you're listening to this podcast in right now, type in Mangum Talks. Those are the keywords, M-A-N-G-U-M, Mangum Talks. All the plethora of our pods will pop up. We've done a Game of Thrones recap. We've done a general television recap, which included Succession, Mandalorian, on and on and on. We have a general interest podcast called Mangum Talks. We have a lot of stuff out there. If you like listening to us talk, just type in Mangum Talks and listen away. But the issue at hand here today is season two, episode six. Spencer, are you ready to get into biscuits with a boss?
1: I am. Uh, this time around, I decided to go with an old classic. When you were growing up, did your parents have a favorite dessert? Not your favorite dessert, but your parents' favorite dessert that you always see, that always saw them enjoy or would pick if they had an option.
0: Yeah, my dad snuck ice cream at night, but his favorite uh, dessert was banana pudding, that southern banana pudding Aww. with the va- vanilla wafers, yeah.
1: I, I haven't had good banana pudding with wafers in years. That is a solid choice at all times. Very good. Well, this time around, I went with my mom's favorite choice. She always loves them. Solid daily black and white cookies
0: oh my gosh bringing the world together did you see that Seinfeld episode
1: no I actually I you, actually did not watch Seinfeld when it was on
0: well Spencer let me explain it to you you have the black Please. you have the white you have the black the white you're bringing the world together with, oh, man. <laughs> with the black and white cookie great say a great Seinfeld episode on that one
1: well I, I, I my mom loves them I, I'm, I'm quite fond of them too they're very much a bakery staple and I'm going to enjoy a couple of them over the course of this episode
0: nice black and white cookie yeah you're right well it's a bakery staple i also feel like it's a deli staple i feel like if you go to like a traditional jewish deli with all the like mayonnaise based salads and the pickled everything (laughs) and the jars of stuff and the Mm -hmm. potato chips from companies that you didn't know existed there's always the black and white cookie There always a solid choice i like that one spencer nice nice pick this week Mm
1: My mom's from New York, from the Long Island area. Ah. It was just a staple of whatever store, whatever corner store she'd go into, there'd always be a fresh basket of black and white cookies there. Which would explain the say.
0: Seinfeld, right? Because that's very yes. much a New York-based New York show. Um, cool. All right. Black and white cookies here on the uh, Biscuits with the Boss segment. All right. I'm going to go into tea time with Lee. This week, Spencer, Please. I've got a tea that is very popular out there. I don't think I've ever covered it before. And I'm not sure I've ever gotten your take on it. It's called Moroccan mint tea. So I've never had it before. Mint flavored green tea that is a blend of uh, traditionally Chinese gunpowder tea and uh, obviously a lot of mint and a lot of random mm-hmm. herbs. I mean, some, some companies will put like some floral stuff, some citric stuff. Um, you know, it, it, it can take a lot of flavors. It's kind of a mashup between a traditional caffeine based like, you know, tea from the tea plant and then more of those mm-hmm. herbal teas that you drink more for the flavor or some sort of other you know, benefit that, you know, you can, you can argue about what the benefit is, but that mashup of like a traditional tea and an herbal tea, Morocco mint tea is that. So the the tea brand I have for you this week is called Artful Tea. Very solid, very great, sleek website too. If you're looking to for some online ordering for tea, Artful Tea <laughs> is the way to go. Just, just a little FYI for you. I was very impressed with the, the website, but Spencer, every week I always have a reason why I bring you the tea. Why do I bring you Moroccan mint tea? Well, it's because Tell mint me, tea. Sir. Mint tea traditionally has been used to relieve stress and anxiety.
1: So. Oh, there are a few characters that, can inj- that could really appreciate that this episode. So
0: if you're having some, if you're having a bad day, you know your wheels are spinning, you just can't get right, can't find that equilibrium, maybe settle down. A couple big breaths, some ooh and a little Moroccan mint tea might go a long way. So there you go on Tea Time with Lee, Moroccan mint tea.
1: Nice choice, perfectly in theme.
0: All right, now. here we go. Go with ahead. our
1: proper desserts, with our proper tea, are you ready for the recap, sir?
0: I am fired up and ready for the recap. Let's do this.
1: All right. The episode starts 45 seconds in, because we have to have the necessary advertisements for every other Apple Plus show. Are you getting the same Jason Momoa show every time now lately?
0: Uh, yeah, with Batista from of WWE fame. B- Shout out that show. That show looks great, man. Those two guys it, just beating the hell out of each other for an hour. Sign me up. It,
1: I don't know exactly what it is, other than it appears to be blind barbarians in a blasted hellscape going at each other, and, you know, I'm in. I'll try it. We'll see yeah. how that goes.
0: Love to see Cal Drogo still getting work.
1: Oh, man, man's, got, man's had a hell of a career after Game of Thrones. He's getting a lot of work on a lot of different things.
0: Doesn't take a day off, that guy. My God, the muscles <laughs> on him. <Woo. laughs>
1: well, we begin with one of our very few songs this episode. This was not a song-rich episode, but where it's Dancing Shoes by the Arctic Monkeys as we see Richmond... Kicking ass, winning a game with Jamie Tart doing a pass to Danny Rojas for the win, capping off what appears to be a four-game winning streak.
0: Count them four.
1: Uh, Which everyone, everyone, team, players, fans, media personalities are all crediting to the Roy Kent effect.
0: Woohoo, Roy Kent effect.
1: We see this over the course of the episode. Everyone is giving Roy the lion's share of the credit for the drastic turnaround in their fortunes that they've seen since he joined the team as apparently an assistant coach. They've got a game coming up, though, against the Tottenham Hot Spurs, a real team, uh, which everyone's predicting the Spurs, I love that they just refer to them as the Spurs, that's fun, to win the game.
0: It kills me to say, but Tottenham are a top, top, top side.
1: Yes, well said. Uh, while that, we're seeing those media reports, there is a very fit man in Rebecca's kitchen making her tea. His name is Luca, and in his words, he's presently wearing nothing but a smile.
0: Got a question for She's you, Spencer. In...
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whenever you see, like, a good-looking dude um you know like a really good looking guy is there a a a normal insult that you throw at him i mean i'm still like 12 so uh when you you see i'm wondering you see like a really good looking guy is there like a casual you don't have an insult that you normally throw at these people
1: no no i don't but i'm very curious to find out what your 12 year old insecure insult is
0: i attack their shoes
1: Oh, yeah. You know, I'm a big, you, know, have a, you know I have
0: a mean shoe game, so I'm always like, oh, okay. Mm. Reeboks. Good choice, bro. <laughs> Let's consider what really matters for a moment. He's Perfect. one of those I guys that. who have crappy shoes. We can speak in what? shorthand for the rest of the pod. <laughs> if I say a guy has crappy shoes, you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> well, This guy's presently not wearing any nor anything else, while Rebecca is up in bed in a loose state of dress, practically Ooh, undressed. Out, Spencer. <sighs> oh, Uh, She's chatting still on banter with LDN 152, discussing their shared beliefs in Bigfoot and Guardian Angels, which is an odd series of conversations, but Rebecca is smiling ear to ear throughout them. Uh, She checks in on whether Luca is wearing anything, which is said he's not, uh, while also asking whether he believes in Guardian Angels. He confirms that he has no opinion on the point by asking whether she means Guardians of the Galaxy.
0: Ugh. good did you see that man that actress is so good did you see that look that she gave like what am i supposed to do with that like it literally like i felt like she said what am i supposed to do with that
1: yeah the words were not uttered the face expressed at all yeah uh she demands that he's get dressed because her cleaning lady is coming however before that can occur there is a surprise appearance of rebecca's mother who seems Impressed at Luca and both of them completely undisturbed by this course of events, with Pim making a friendly offer of tea and her checking to see whether that includes biscuits. Uh, Rebecca arrives, uh, and her mom confirms that she has left her husband, Rebecca's father. Luca is immediately supportive, though confused on whether she's actually the cleaning lady, too, uh, who then actually arrives and makes the very valid decision to start cleaning in a different room than this one. What with... Start the study absolutely our intro starts at exactly Wait a second.
0: do you do you know the actress who plays rebecca's mom do you know what else she's been in
1: no i don't remember. i bet that. she
0: looked familiar to you
1: i vaguely so but what else what else can i place around
0: The succession mother so the actual mother a mother of kindle and all those kids the actual mother she's only in like one episode
1: I remember her, though, now. Thank you. I never would have connected those two shows together. I miss Succession. It has been too long since we watched that show.
0: Me too. And uh, hang tight. Uh, we might have an announcement on our Succession coverage here toward the end of the, the season of, of Ted Lasso. So hang tight, folks. That's what we well, call a tease Ted... in the business.
1: <laughs> well, with Ted Lasso, we start at, our our intro starts at the three-minute mark, so that's 2.15 counting the ads.
0: So which very, short, feels... very short. Very short.
1: Very short. Wanted to ch- wanted to check on your statistics in that regard. I know you've got the massive spreadsheet going, but this seems definitely below average.
0: Yeah, so we have one episode that was like 148. So this was, but this was like number three, I think, of shortest. Mm. So yeah, very short cold opening.
1: Well, leaving the intro behind, Ted arrives at the Richmond Stadium, and he appears to be in full Ted form. He is greeting everyone personally. He's making everyone smile. He's making laughing Liam laugh, who sounds hey, like a barking hey, seal when hey, he laughs. Hey. Is that a callback to the first episode of the season with Laughing Lamb? It
0: absolutely is, yeah. I love the consistency of the show with the jokes. That that, that makes you, me so happy when they tell a joke and it's a callback ten episodes later. Shout out.
1: It also proves that if we find out a character's name, even if we're not meeting them at the time, we will meet them at some point because we know their name.
0: Man, that theory of yours has held tight this entire ride. If you learn a character's name, you're going you're gonna to see more of them. Yep, we did not learn uh, Rebecca's dad's name. Never going to meet him. Nope.
1: Uh, Colin's coming out of another therapy session, seemingly continuing to get a lot of good out of it, and now repeating the maxim, I am strong, I am capable, and I am not a piece of shit, which Dr. Sharon reminds him he doesn't necessarily need to include the second part of that. <laughs> Uh, Ted greets Doctor Sharon, who clearly she's gotten a lot more used to Ted and the team, and really opened up a bit. We see yep. that a few times in this mm-hmm. episode, which I I appreciate that she's having her own arc off camera too, in terms of getting used to letting her hair down a bit. Because though she d- does not respond to Ted's offer to explain what her weekend escapades were, she deals with it very po- deals with his aggressive friendliness much more politely. And he, you know, chuckles and laughs it off and refers to her as being mysterious as David Blaine reading a Sue Grafton novel at Area 51.
0: Very mysterious.
1: Absolutely. M for
0: mysterious.
1: Uh, I'll have you explain who Sue Grafton is at a later point. (laughs) Uh, Again, Dr. Sharon deflects all this, but again detects that the kind of thing that Ted's offering seems to be Ted at kind of like a level 11 on the dial a little bit element of forced, like if it's aggressive Teddiness and immediately takes that and says, well, if you ever want to talk, my door is always open for an appointment, which Ted again, just laughs the offer, the offer off entirely.
0: I talk all the time. Just let me follow you around for 10 minutes. After five, you'll tell me to hush my butt.
1: Which is both funny and also kind of sad because that's the exact process his wife apparently went through when it came to the, t- the style of Ted.
0: Hey, I do want to point out one thing about Dr. Sharon. You, you made reference to it about how she's kind of opening up to the uh, the team. That is one thing that I think is a bit of a misnomer for folks who don't engage mental health professionals. That I think a lot of people have this like vision of like a sort of Freudian like, you know, glasses. You sit on the couch and they're sort yeah. of like a stolid wall. Like that's not been my experience. I've seen psychiatrists my whole life that is not my experience. Most of them will open up to you and they become like a person. Like you kind of learn about them too. And I love that, that Dr. Sharon, like is portrayed as a person, right? Like once she gets yeah. comfortable with you, she'll make jokes. Like she may even go to a drink, go out for a drink with you. And that's totally cool. I, I I appreciate that.
1: Right. She doesn't go to, she doesn't go from zero to 60 in terms of, you know, open friendliness immediately. She's not a freaking electric car, but she eventually works her way there. Yep. Uh, Ted walking down the hall, leaving that conversation behind, immediately runs into, runs into uh, Roy and Keeley and talks about how he's shipping the two of them. Ah, like the word shipping on wow. the show.
0: Oh, Spencer, I'm uh, head exploded. Uh, I've been, <laughs> I figured. I've said, I figured. The, I've said the word shipping every single podcast that we've done on mm-hmm. the show. And since uh, I taught you that word, <laughs> I feel like the writers are just listening to me out there in the ether. That was so cool. Um, and it was uh, interesting that he the way he did it too, because like um, you know, it looked like Roy was like. You know, he had Keeley up against a wall. It looks like they were about to yeah. do some some business. And Ted uh, and clearly appreciated it. I'm shipping you two. Ch-ch-ch-ch-ch. Very, very solid moment.
1: Again, progression of how much everybody's getting used to Ted. Roy just kind of good-naturedly tells him, um, threatens to call HR for Ted's comments, but it's clearly he's just doing it as a kind of joke.
0: Yeah, well, tell Mr. Puffin stuff I said hello. That's a joke for people born in the mid to late 70s.
1: Which quit completely over my head. I'm hoping you're going to address this on SportsCenter Top 10 as to who the hell H.R. Puffin stuff was.
0: I just may. Hang tight.
1: I'll, I'll leave that one for you then. Uh, Ted says, as you said, says that joke is entirely not intended for us, so fine. That may be, in my opinion, his most esoteric joke yet, having looked up what the hell that
0: was. Pretty weird. Yeah, pretty strange.
1: He arrives in the coach's office and they discuss... The FA Cup. Now, will you let me take this one in terms of explaining what the hell the FA Cup was? Yeah,
0: absolutely. You, it's so interesting. We, we started this podcast and I, I like to like frame myself as a sports guy, but you're totally taking all the sports stuff. And and that's that's cool, man, because you you <laughs> hey, you've, hey. You've got it and you're running with it. I do want to just give a plug. I know that for a lot of people watching the show on subtitles is not ideal, right? It can be hard to follow for people. The, the mm-hmm. subtitles can be distracting. I get that. And if you don't like it, That's cool. But I will say that if you do watch it on subtitles, you catch jokes that they throw in that you would not catch otherwise. Because when they cut to the office, Ted walks in, Nate is talking to Beard and Beard has his hands on his face as if he like just woke up from a hangover or he is just like, Mm -hmm. it's totally out of it. And Nate is telling him the most boring story about Tortellini.
1: (laughs) They changed it, man. They, they changed and,
0: and, it, and then they changed the tortellini. Like it, it's, it, it really made me. I never yeah. would have caught it without the subtitles. But it's so funny. Like getting that little like window into when Ted's not there and Nate comes in and Beard's like, "How was your weekend?" And Nate just bores the shit out of him with some dumbass story. Yeah. <laughs> Very well, funny I, stuff. I,
1: it, it's really a good call right there because there's several times where characters they either say things off camera, they say things under your breath under their breath that you wouldn't even be able to detect. Like practically Nate's mumbling this when when Ted walks in. Right. Which it's a really funny, but it would probably be missed if you were just listening into it.
0: Yep. Alright, FA
1: Cup. Now, Fire away. FA Cup sounds like the most unique thing ever. We have no equivalent of this, it seems like in the US, of where this is an open annual knockout football competition in England and Wales, of where Every single club takes part. I mean every. Not just the professional clubs. Not just all 92 professional clubs in the Premier and English Football Leagues. I mean all of the several several hundred semi and non-professional clubs in the National League also take part. How many do I mean? In the 2011-2012 season, they set a record when 763 teams took part in the FA Cup. What the hell? That is the scale of this thing everyone's doing this. The way it works is that the several hundred semi or non-professional teams all compete 1st at the opening part of the cup. They narrow it down to 32 of them. Those 32 then first compete against the 48 lower level professional teams, and then followed by the championship and premier league teams. Going through all of this through 12 randomly drawn rounds before then arriving at the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and then the finals to wrap up this tournament. Now, In history, a non-professional team has actually won once. Back in 1901 with the Spurs. The Tottenham Spurs were were at the time a non-professional team and the only one in history to actually win the FA Cup. They've since become a professional club since then. Which is Uh, great
0: that they referenced Tottenham in this episode. That that, seems very intentional. Yeah.
1: In the modern era, one non-professional team, Lincoln City, made it all the way to the quarterfinal in 2017. Though, no team below the championship level has ever in the modern era reached the final. And as discussed in the show, a non-premier team has won it eight times, though the last time was in 1980 with West Ham United, who is notably a premier level team now. It's also a misleading stat because the Premier League didn't exist in 1980. They only were added in 1992, when the essentially the top levels of the English division just broke off to make their own damn thing. So... It is a massive thing. I am as excited as Ted is. As he refers to it, it's March Madness tournament in the middle of the season featuring every team in England and Wales. It's David versus Goliath. It's Rocky versus Apollo. It's Steve Weeb versus Billy Mitchell, which is a Donkey Kong video game reference that I knew, and I was so amused to see that in there. Strong one, yeah. Uh, And as Beard expresses, it's Pearl Jam versus Ticketmaster, which made me laugh my ass off. So Uh, uh,
0: it is very similar to March Madness, right? Because, I mean, I mean, it's not quite the level, right? Because it sounds like with this, you could conceivably, you and I, if we lived in Wales, could just pull a team together within three or four years, potentially have all the credentials or whatever to like compete in this thing. It sounds like anybody can kind of create an amateur team and eventually kind of pull it together. Um, but that does like kind of roughly equate to some of these like like Southwest Central Arkansas Christian Medical University that's like the 16 seed in the play in game against like UNC, right? That right. There is some level of that. I just don't like when he says David and Goliath. I think it's the it's even more. It's like squared, right? <laughs> yes. The chasm is even bigger uh, in this. But I, I think I do think the best reference probably is to March Madness. Although I don't think yeah. in this, can you imagine in America if we allowed amateur teams to compete in March Madness? It would be insane. It'd be nuts. And the, but you'd root
1: for them. Good God, would you, would you root for them if you saw that kind of thing going in there? Yeah. First of all, the kids from Rucker Park would win the whole thing. I just want to shout <laughs> that out. <laughs> That is well-known, absolutely.
0: Yeah, look out, Duke.
1: So it it is definitely March Madness, just on a much more massive, everyone-take-part kind of scale. I'll tell you what this has made
0: me want to do, is watch the damn FA Cup.
1: Oh, yeah, this sounds great. You'd be rooting for every no-name team every single year and having a blast doing it. I think I might watch it, yeah, for sure. Can you imagine how much, like, the fans of Lincoln City, who I don't know much about, but other than they were, you know, a non-professional team. Them making it to the fucking corner final in 2017. Can you imagine how much the world just probably went insane when that happened?
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, I, I totally get it. Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, Ted goes through all these examples. Everybody's excited. Higgins pops up with some football knowledge as he's continuing his flaneur kind of waves roaming Flauneur. around the water. Yes. Uh, as this is happening, though, Beard reveals that he and Jane got back together, which is You know, it's great. Yeah, Yeah, it's lovely. Good for you. Great for you too. Uh, Higgins cuts through all that polite babble and asks, you know, is this really a good idea? Which immediately everyone, that that sound occurs as the record scratch happens. (laughs) Everyone just kind of turns and looks at Higgins as if he just kind of casually waltzed into traffic. Beard cuts off that conversation to deal with a series of missed calls that he's already received this morning. And Higgins immediately calls an emergency meeting of the Diamond Dogs. Roy (laughs) exits as fast as possible to to that noise starting to occur. Roy's
0: interaction with the Diamond Dog is so great. Nope. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Roy, would you like to sit it? Nope.
1: It's gone immediately. Uh, Higgins tries to mount the window, which uh, doesn't go particularly well, as Nate proceeds to offer that, you know, maybe you should just go around. But man's committed, doesn't work out, decides to do it from the window itself. Duke's a hazard style, right? You'd probably call it Earl's of risk. He was actually really worried that Higgins was going to try to run through the window there. He looked like he was bracing up to do it.
0: Bad move, Higgins. Piggy Bottoms. a <laughs>
1: yeah, good well. uh, Higgins, you know, having them now assumed their positions, Higgins expresses that he's not too sure about Beard and Jane being, you know, healthy together. And he's really disappointed that no one backed him up when he tried to point it out. Uh, Ted tells him that you should never say anything in that kind of situation. Offering the story of him of things going wrong for him with a long term friend, and thereafter being banned from doing best man speeches in the future.
0: Yeah, it was funny. it's funny. He's like, she's a bit of a pill. So I told him exactly what I thought. And That's the last time I ever gave a best man speech.
1: Uh, yeah, well done, well, well done, Ted. There, no wild trot. Yeah, Nate Meanwhile you know, tries to be uh, outwardly supportive to all relationships because his dad never was. And apparently sabotaged his very first relationship he ever brought home.
0: A Tyrion Relations- Lannister situation.
1: I didn't, you know, I wasn't reading between the lines to anticipate that level of scale when he said sabotage the relationship. But yeah, maybe <laughs> it's implied. Uh, Ted brings it home with the idea that, you know, you really shouldn't get up all ends anyone else's business. And Higgins eventually kind of sort of agrees, but <laughs> we see that throughout the episode, it takes a physical toil on him to see a friend doing something that he feels is dumb, dangerous, or harmful, and not say anything about it. Beard returns and reveals that Jane's roommate has thrown her out and that she's now living with him, which oh, is good.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah, great. it's just good. Good wonderful. No, nice. yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, there's a practice on the pitch where Jamie is being Stupid a Stupid barking player.
0: means it's over, right?
1: absolutely yes uh Jamie's being a team player and colin is damaging cars in the parking lot with wayward kicks coach nate offers what would best be described as his patented abuse because that's apparently all coach nate really has to offer that we've seen so far
0: well you called this right you said when he became a coach it would be very interesting to see his interaction specifically with jamie or colin um yeah. and look at it does seem that he's like at least in this episode kind of picking on colin a little bit because he shouts out come on colin you dolt and like Roy even looks at him like, "What? Why are you?" Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it was too much. Yeah.
1: Roy, meanwhile, offers focused, constructive advice from a football player perspective to coach, Colin man. and he to the entire really team.
0: Seems it, really good. It,
1: immediately, as, I, as Isaac says, this is the Roy Kent effect. Everyone's jazzed. Everyone's focused. The hearing his advice is it's meant and taking it to heart. It's working out great. Uh, Jamie, notably. Well, actually, one, one thing that seems important, when Isaac refers to it as the Roy Kent effect and everybody celebrates, Roy kind of looks a little bit embarrassed to be the focus of attention. And did you see Nate in kind of fuzzy in kind of fuzzy silhouette over his shoulder, how he reacted? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> N- Nate got pissed. Nate continually, whenever he hears about the Roy Kent effect or everybody celebrating Roy, doesn't like it.
0: Well, pissed, but also, like, it seems like disenchanted, right? Like, sort yes. of like a, it, it, it bursts his balloon a little bit.
1: Well, that's a better way of putting it. He seems like he's both annoyed by it, but also seems like he's being just like he feels like he's being the third wheel. He's like he's being left out of things now. He doesn't really feel like he's part of the coaching staff. Uh, Jamie also feels notably left out because he didn't get any advice. So he specifically comes over and asks, you know, Roy, is there anything that I could do? Any advice you have for me? Roy doesn't give him a damn word. Just gives him the cold shoulder and turns away.
0: All right, let's go again.
1: Uh, Ted reminds him that he's actually supposed to coach, you know, the entire team. To which Roy says, ah, "That's fine. I'll take the four percent pay cut. I'm not coaching that one."
0: So I did the math. That would mean there's 25 players on this team, right?
1: That's, I, yeah, I actually appreciate the math. That seems probably about right from what we've really seen it both the main team and the reserve team.
0: It does. I was just I was just sort of impressed that Roy did the math that quick. <laughs>
1: Oh, no, I'm, I'm willing to bet Roy actually did the research of where, okay, I'm actually not going to coach this one player. What effect would that have on my pay? 4%? I can I can live with that. Yep. Uh, Rebecca calls from her window, the way she sometimes does, to invite Ted to
0: lunch. Canceling Ted, sec- do you have lunch plans? The way she did well, that was really funny. She's a funny actress. She's great. Yeah, but one thing, unfortunately,
1: though, she's interfering with is secret sandwich switcheroo, which i'll be honest that just sounds
0: fun i'd want to participate in secret secret sandwich switcheroo i really do too i hope i find a co-worker who'll do this with me
1: well i assure you if we ever find a way of doing this together i'm not making you a blt sandwich i've never understood the appeal of that sandwich
0: i love the blt i'm a big fan
1: i, I like bacon on sandwiches I just don't. I feel the need to include other things other than bacon as my only meat. I feel yeah. like I'm mostly just eating lettuce and tomato.
0: Yeah, I like that though. But here's my here's my thing on the BLT is you, it is not a one sandwich situation. The BLT requires oh, multiple okay. sandwiches.
1: That that is a very fair call. It's a component of the lunch. It is not the only thing you're eating.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, so inviting Ted out for lunch with Keely, Rebecca, and Rebecca's mom who, as we see from the window, is kind of in the process of rediscovering her independent self with no small amount of alcohol and embarrassing her daughter in the process. She
0: seems kind of nuts.
1: Uh, as Ted expresses, yeah. boy, I love meeting people's moms. It's like reading an infra- instruction manual as to why they're nuts.
0: Put that on a that t-shirt. Is such a,
1: that is such a wonderfully accurate line right there. As we see here, when Beard promptly, I best, the best term to describe what Beard does is screeches at the team. Mm-hmm. And Ted texts in on how Mrs. Beard is doing, who apparently has grown full-blown QAnon, which they both agreed kind of tracks.
0: Yeah, I know the knowing sort of nod from Ted. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, actually, it actually sounds right for an eventual beard path, if I'm being honest.
1: Wow, that's an interesting route to go there.
0: Like beard at like 65, like becoming one of yeah. those real conspiracy there's.
1: He's already about a certain percentage of the way there, just not quite in that category yet.
0: He likes crazy.
1: Well, the other thing he likes is football novels, or football or, or football guides and histories. And as you see back in the coach's office, he's reading the truly famous, to the point I've heard of it, Football Against the Enemy by Simon Cooper, yep. which, if you don't know, is a classic 90s book on the subject of soccer being football, being the lingua franca around the world, and the kind of political and cultural impact it has in countries across, everywhere. Uh, Ted throws him a sandwich, sans horseradish due to Beard's allergy to horses and radishes, Hottest confusion on Ted's part there. Oh, sorry about uh, that. And they discuss the value, and uh, he discusses the value of being buzzed while doing creative work with Keeley. When he gets a call,
0: seems like a great idea all around.
1: I kind of disagree, but you know, uh, Keeley does her.
0: Yeah, how uh, would you deal with this? But well, you, you work in a law firm. You probably have dealt with this. Where a lawyer said, like somebody working with you just goes, "Hey, you know, I need to be a little bit drunk for that work I'm about to do."
1: I'm in the law. I wish I'd say I haven't heard that conversation before. Um, it does tend to have me a little bit concerned when somebody needs alcohol to do their job.
0: Yeah, I'd probably do the Roy Kent. I'd be calling HR.
1: <laughs> Man, I? Yeah, yeah, probably a good call. Uh, this is one of the moments, though, where we start to see this maybe a bit of a darker episode. Uh, where Ted gets a call. Great call. And it's seemingly from uh, his son's school system. Yep. We, we don't know what it is at first. Ted seems very concerned then seems a little bit less concerned, and then seems like the situation has resolved. What we find out what it is, is that Ted's son forgot his lunch when they were going on a school trip. This is not a five-alarm kind of emergency, but it seems to really affect Ted, that he's not there to help, even for something like this, and that it's his wife, sorry, ex-wife, he gets Oof. that one wrong, uh, who instead is there to assist. I said this seems like on the surface is it's kind of a minor matter but it's ted really takes it hard perhaps because of his inability to help with being so far away and being removed from those aspects of his son's life perhaps something deeper and darker we're going to find out about in later episodes hard to say
0: so but i'd like to point adds- out something is that when he's having this conversation he is having an abnormal reaction to a call about his son forgetting his lunch, it, he is yeah. getting way more emotionally involved, and it's to the point that there's a specific shot of Keeley, who is the man whisper, um. really looking concerned for Ted.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: really With, looking concerned in, for him. Yeah, and so you, it, yeah, it makes me feel like they're giving us a little hint that he's he's not okay, right? Um, yeah. because like before these types of breakdowns, which Ted has at the end of the episodes, I, I firmly believe most people have think like th- there are hints that this thing is building. And this is one of mm-hmm. our, our small hints that, that is really not okay with Ted. Cause can you imagine Ted in a good mood, getting this call? Like he would have made a big joke about the fact he forgot his lunch. He may ask his son on the, uh, on the phone to like kind of joke about it. For some mm-hmm. reason, this feels like the wall's closing in on him. Um, and I feel like that's a little abnormal.
1: Well, it seems like it's adding to the cluster, the collection of things that are just festering inside him. This is the, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back rather than itself a disaster. And yep. how he takes it, as you said, everyone in the room looks concerned, particularly Keeley, who's really got a very concerned glance. Mm-hmm. Jamie arrives and demands that they all order Roy to start coaching him immediately. How would you summarize the response from the coaching
0: staff and Keeley to that request? Oh, you want me to tell Roy Kent what to do? That's a great idea. Yeah, he's going to love that. Yeah, I'll totally drop into one of our mini-conversations where Roy talks to me about his life and asks for my advice. Nate, uh, out! Yeah, just perfect line to exit
1: on. Everyone enjoys a great laugh. The idea here is you don't just tell Roy to do shit, particularly not from like, any of their perspectives.
0: Philistines! I'm asking for help here.
1: Philistines? Uh, i love how much the misuse of that term just sets
0: beard off throughout the next scene i love the consistency with jamie like this is another thing you get on the subtitles yeah is like if you're just listening to him i think you have a sense that he mispronounces words and screws up references to the extent that he does it i don't think you know unless you're like following the subtitles because it's almost like every third sentence he screws something up
1: those not familiar philistines actually means you know culturally artistically illiterate so it's not really on point for the conversations that they're having uh ted advises that the two of them really just kind of need to woman up as manning up has clearly not worked in the past and then kind of turns to Keeley for the scoop on roy advice i agree uh that's kind of confusing as an answer to that question is that confusing she clarifies (laughs) uh that she She's just just agreeing with Roy Because it quickly dilutes his anger And kind of gets him on point with, with the conversation you actually want to have
0: uh, This go, is one uh, of those Roy- situations where I would say Keely, that works for you Like, I, I'm not quite sure I need advice from you How to deal with Roy Kent I think I need advice from somebody Roy Kent doesn't like Or doesn't have an opinion of Not, not necessarily someone who looks like you
1: This is one of the things where Keely clearly meant this as good advice, but was also in a hurry and so didn't really kind of tailor it to the situation. Right. Uh, Keely and Ted leave. Beard and Jamie kind of enjoy a bit of a stare off as we kind of, both we and they realize they've basically never interacted before. Jamie walks away. Beard encourages him to look up what the hell Philistines actually means. We cut to apparently the only place in town where people apparently eat. The pub. The pub. Where they always go. Rebecca's mom delivers a rambling monologue on the subject of life and all of its various permutations and also leaving her husband while she was on the crapper. Uh, they encourage her to do a TED talk with how inspiring the speech was. Because I agree, because cut- right now you're getting a whole heap of TED, listen. <laughs> while the fan trio in the background are yelling about something on the screen, which we later find out was the Great British Baking Show.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> favorite part of the episode, maybe? Maybe favorite part of the episode for me? Temper Tempr- you your chocolate, you, you twat! twat. <laughs> <laughs> what it's a so great, so funny. I love the idea that there are people in some British pub somewhere watching it and being like, "Oh my God, the the cake, you know, the the, the, the didn't set, or you know, you you broke this, the too soggy bottom, or whatever." Oh man, that that the idea that there's like sports hooligans uh, watching that show makes me very happy.
1: It really, really builds into my theory that all British people are about a half second away from turning into Gordon Ramsay, and this just confirms that entirely. Uh, Ted is gets uh, remind we both we and Ted get reminded that it was his wife that did the leaving rather than him, Ooh, which, dumb. brutal line from Rebecca's mom there that even Rebecca flinches at. But luckily, uh, Deborah, which is the mom's name, gets a call from her psychic because the psychic had promised to call exactly when she needed her. What an inside baseball (sighs) joke about
0: how psychics work, right? Yeah. Something big will happen in your life in two weeks. There you go. There's my advice. I saw it in the cards.
1: Keep it open-ended and let them fill in the blanks. It's all how how psychics work all the damn time. Uh, Rebecca clarifies to the group when her mom leaves that her parents actually do this every couple years. The dad acts up, Deborah leaves, and then he buys her an expensive environmentally conscious gift and they're back together in a week.
0: Boy, did I see Tesla coming a mile away on that line.
1: Yeah. Uh, The scene ends with a boisterous rendition by both May and the fan trio of Poor Little Cake, Soggy Bottom. As they all proceed to dance with it. I love this episode reiterates that May, as much as she's much more serious than the fan trio is, just dances and parties on with them whenever they're having fun, too.
0: Well, she turned around and showed her butt to Soggy Bottom, which I thought was a really gamer move.
1: Yes, it was. Well done on her part. (laughs) Uh, Beard, meanwhile, is back in the office, sadly eating all of the secret sandwich switcheroo sandwiches by himself, when he gets a FaceTime call, and it is notably a FaceTime call because this is an Apple Plus show, from Jane, where they demonstrate the continued aspects of their weird relationship by discussing suicide and serving as cushions, and she reveals that she's going out to coffee with an old friend, male friend from university, who's also an underwear model. Who wants to show her his latest portfolio. Because that's a thing that happens.
0: Question for you on this. Did she call, did Jane call him just to tell him that she's going to call? Because she called him. Yeah, it's not like she's saying,
1: you know, we can't do the plans that we had going or anything. It's It's really like, like hey,
0: Beard, just want to tell you, go into coffee with an underwear model. Anyway, that's all I got for you. Let that fester.
1: I don't know enough about the relationship to know whether this is normal, but based on Beard's reaction, this seems like a new kind of thing. Because he doesn't seem like he reacts well to it. And also notably, Higgins, who's listening in from his, you know, weight room office, again seems to have a very serious case of indigestion upon hearing this. Yeah. We saw Higgins do this back in season one, too, of when, you know, things get too much for him that's the kind of reaction that he has when he sees friends taking this path or his own <laughs> guilt starts to manifest.
0: You're making that noise again.
1: Yes. Uh, while this is going on, Jamie runs into Roy and immediately tries to follow Keeley's advice. Score a one to five late. How well does this advice go?
0: One solid pretty, one. Pretty, right there. pretty poorly for Jamie. Well, it depends on your perspective. Cause if you're Roy, it went a six. <laughs> it went really well. <laughs> Roy, this is manna from heaven. This is He had
1: no way of knowing his day would go this good other than to have Jamie now repeat that he is an ugly, ugly boy with bad hair. Didn't know he'd get that kind of boon. Cheers. I enjoyed that. They immediately get into a fight over building bridges, or Jeff Bridges, uh, causing Ted to have to intervene. They both confront Roy over the fact that, you know, actually, Jamie is kinda serving as the more mature person in this particular argument. It's and true. I'm being super mature,
0: you big, dumb, hairy, baby twat.
1: You're doing so well before then, Jamie, but, you know, you're still probably coming across as the more mature here. More importantly, though, he honestly just wants to get better, and that if you have a means of helping him, he wants to hear it from you. And this is Jamie being kind of vulnerable when he says this. His shoulders are slumped, he's looking down.
0: He's really honestly just wants Roy's advice, because he knows Roy can give him good advice. I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with Jamie here because is even though he's like throwing in insults and actually like physically fighting Roy, he is very consistent this entire episode. I simply want you to give me advice. And when Roy gives him advice, he takes it. No questions asked.
1: And this is one of the things where Roy's a little bit late to the party about seeing how far Jamie's come. You really just kind of sees Mm -hmm. Jamie is still a bit of an asshole, is even a little bit disappointed by the direction that he's gone in as a player. And so he doesn't really know that Jamie's actually matured to the point that, no, he'll accept your advice, he'll take it, and he'll get better as a result. Because he's actually a team player now.
0: Which is why Roy needs a Ted, Right. T- yes. Roy, Roy, obviously a very great addition. Roy Kenefit, happening, shout out. But he does mm-hmm. need a Ted because he can get stuck in these ruts with, with certain ideas or people or whatever. And Ted is the kind of change agent who can pull him out of what? it. This is the thing of where Ted's the generalist kind of person that brings everybody together and
1: forms the kind of glue that holds the team together. He's not the specialist. He can't really focus too much on helping the players with their individual skills. He doesn't really focus much on beard and individual strategy. He is the overarching linchpin by which the team is united rather than somebody that's really necessarily in the weeds for these kind of things. Right. So it's a necessary series of coaches that work together well. Roy eventually concedes and tells Ted that he's the one that kind of actually fucked up here. Because, nope. yeah, it catches Ted off guard. And it's really that you the effect you've had on Jamie has been too much. I mean, kudos, you made Jamie a team player, he's passing now, that's great. But you're losing also what made Jamie so damn much of an ace in the first place. His ability to, in uh, Roy's words, be a prick. That you basically turned this into art form. You score goals... You get into other teams' fucking heads. You drive them up the fucking law like only you can do. And they need that. That, as much as it's great you do all these other team things now, every now and then, on a signal, when appropriate, we need you to be a prick. Now, notably, Roy being Roy, not going to tell Jamie what the signal is in advance. As much as both Roy and uh, Jamie and Ted are fascinated by what this is going to be, Jamie will just know it when he sees it. Roy walks away. Both Jamie and Ted are more than a little bit confused. But Ted, as he always just kind of returns to the belief sign and just counts that things will all work out.
0: I took that as Ted, like feeling like completely inept as a coach. He's like, uh, "Well, yep, guess you, guess you heard him Uh, anyway." Up, up here, up here, belief. Like he, yep, (laughs) yep. Like to your point, he he just has nothing from a coaching perspective.
1: This is not his wheelhouse right now. It's going to work out fine. He's going to return to belief. Old maxims, they're great but right now he just doesn't know what's about to happen.
0: Cut to Rebecca question for you, Spencer. If you, mm-hmm. uh, we, as covered on this podcast, many times you have a, a relationship you're in long-term relationship. I think you're working over 10 years now. So shout out to you. Mm-hmm. If that relationship ended tomorrow, you wait the, you wait the appropriate amount of time before you enter the dating pool. Would you get on one of two dating applications to mess or banter? You have to choose no, one. Where do you go? No. Where do you go? No. no, you
1: go? Me, no. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even know how to start on Tumescent. Wouldn't even know where to go with that. <laughs> that was never part of my you know starting working out relationships at any point back 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 when I was dating. Utterly confused how that would even go. So I'm guessing banter because most of my relationships have started with, you know, meeting each other, becoming friends and going from there kind of thing.
0: Okay. I think I think the I think the right move here is Tumescent for the rebound, banter for the actual later shot. So you, you start with Tumescent, you bleed into oh, banter. God, you- I feel like Rebecca's mashing them up. She's got her timelines mashed up. She's, she's, she's doing both at the same time. Yeah, shout out to her. But uh yeah, there you go. All right.
1: Spencer would start with uh, with banter. I don't even know what the concept of me on a rebound is. Haven't seen it before, wouldn't know what it is. If you find me on straight-up and call the friggin' authorities, because something's gone wrong in my brain. Not gonna do uh, that,
0: going to watch it uh, with popcorn.
1: Well, particularly if I'm messaging hunky Luca, as she is, uh, arranging for apparently another sexy sleepover. <laughs> While LDN152 is messaging to thank her for being along with Breakfast, one of the best parts of her day. Rebecca is getting fulfilled in all ways, both sexual and emotional, by two different people.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, she pushes him to drop the damn anonymity, but he, in a roundabout way, politely refuses. Uh, her mom walks in and says that she's going to a book reading with her friends. Enter the arena, but bring a knife.
0: Okay. Uh, that's Brene Brown. Um, Which I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So Brene Brown is like one of these, like, um, she has these books that are like, here is how you, um, here's how you fit in and master the corporate world. Like mm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's why the name is like, enter, enter the arena, but bring a knife. So I got a Brene Brown story. Please. Uh, as covered many times in this podcast, I work for a very large company, very much a corporate environment Mm -hmm. and uh, I was at like a quote company retreat by the way most of these companies, when you hear the word retreat, if you're outside of the company, you think that we're in some sort of jungle somewhere doing like rope courses and trust falls. Not yep. the case. What it really means is we've moved conference rooms across the hall and we're there all day with some sort of bad catered box lunch. And we hear people tell us about like inap- like amorphous, ambiguous ways to improve our job. synergy. So I had this. This happened to me one time. It was a multi-day retreat. God help me. And the person who was there was this outside consultant who... I don't know what her background was, but I was not impressed. And she was talking and she referenced Brene Brown and said, you know, Brene Brown, like, you know, the genius. She said this, the genius. (laughs) It was as if she was talking about Abraham Lincoln or something. She's like, you know, Mm -hmm. know Brene Brown. I mean, obviously like four score, seven years ago. And, Weed had no idea who she was. I looked her up. I started reading Brene Brown quotes and texting them to some of my friends throughout the the room. Oh,
1: God. Did the douchey oh Brene
0: Brown quotes. And so we had a big text thread going throughout the room of douchey Brene Brown quotes. So that's my Brene Brown story. It's so funny that they brought her in. Um, and if you read Brene Brown and you get something from it, I just want to say, good for you. Uh, I, don't you. I don't mean to insult you. I don't mean to insult you. Just not for me. And I'm not quite yeah. sure it's for the writers of this show either.
1: Well, while she says that her and her friends are going to do this, she does offer that when Rebecca gets back home, she's going to make Rebecca's favorite. Shepherd's pie with cheese on top.
0: God, that sounds good. You, have yeah. you noticed that Rebecca has the worst nicknames? Her mom calls her Sausage. sausage. And her friends calls her Stinky. You know, I, I just think that that's like, the burden of someone as attractive as her. Everyone wants to call her like asshole, you know.
1: <laughs> like I, like I, like that's yeah.
0: that's the female equivalent of saying you have bad shoes that I brought up earlier, right? Calling her stinky and sausage.
1: That is, yeah, that is perfectly what that is. You, 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 you are too high on the societal totem pole for us to have friendly pet names for you. You get called sausage from here on out. Very funny by your mom, uh, which I, I honestly is a nickname. Sausage, kind of cute. It's it's clearly the affectionate kind of nickname parents have for you. And notably, while they share the shepherd's pies with cheese on top, they're going to finally have a good and proper mother-daughter chat. Mm. Rebecca seems willing to do at this point.
0: So how funny is it that it's the same actress who tells Kendall, hey, can't talk to you tonight on succession. Hey, can't talk to you tonight. I'll talk to you in the morning. We'll have a proper chat. Tells Rebecca, hey, talk to you later. We'll have a proper chat. Both situations leaves a note and bails.
1: This is a woman who has a decided. It was a, a particular role in her, a particular job in her acting career. She's getting a little bit pigeonholed in it, but she's doing it well.
0: Man, it's funny the parallel between those two characters.
1: Uh, while that conversation is going down, the quarterfinal match of the FA Cup is starting to occur. Soccer AFC Saturday,
0: Richmond,
1: AFC Richmond versus the Tottenham Hotspurs. The fan trio is debating what they will do if Richmond actually wins this match, going from burning down the damn pub to agreeing under May's stare to channel their raging enthusiasm into ways to help their community. Power of May. While notably in the stands, I think for the first time, Dr. Sharon sits among the fan base watching the game. In the game, uh, we get a good pass from Jamie, leading to a sadly missed uh, shot from Danny. Causing the game to remain tied at nil at the 30 minute mark.
0: That's 0 0. However,
1: yeah. Nil. Nil. Thank you, damn Americans. Uh, this overpassing and lack of progression by Jamie is starting to cause some problems, though, which leads Roy to stand up and deploy the signal. The signal. Ted, Ted looks nervous, but all four coaches are united. They've coordinated this before, and in unison,
0: they all flip Jamie the bird. What a. Roy's the best. You know, it's you couldn't have come up with anything else. And it's so fun. I love the dynamic because the announcers and we get the, by the way, brilliant thing the show does is you get the announcers the entire time. This whole scene plays yes. very great, uh, very great writing there. And the, both the, the announcers and the crowd all think that it's a breakdown of the team in some way that, that the team is <laughs> fracturing, right? That the coaching staff is flicking off Jamie, that uh, chaos is ensuing and and Jamie to his credit Ted in no, one beat oh, gets yeah, it, yeah, gets it yeah. so fast and then completely flips the switch. Shut up. That was that was really good.
1: Yeah, as much as the announcer confused, I love that the fan base is just eating it up. They're all just flipping each other off in the bar. Everybody's having a great time. Uh, the announcer have said apologize for the fruity sign language. We've gotten to that point. But congratulate Ted on clearly demonstrating that he's become effectively immersed in in English culture. <laughs> Jamie proceeds then to be just the prick that they need him to be. He pisses off another player, he gets open an expert skill, he draws a foul, and he sets up a penalty kick. A notably long-range penalty kick. Does it look like he's at friggin' midfield or near to it when he's taking the shot? He's pretty
0: close, yeah. He's he's very close to midfield and so close that, like, Ted immediately... By the way, Ted's, trick Ted's coaching? Trick play. That's all he knows. Let's go to a trick play. <laughs> Loki's toe-bottom uh toboggan uh upside down taxi let's do one of the one of the old ones um and roy uh the jamie whisperer that he is and the rain man counting the toothpicks falling on the floor says we don't need a trick play little brick is going to score from here
1: from impossible distance and that's just what jamie does it's a beautiful shot he buries in the upper part of the neck wow. for ungodly range And the stadium goes insane! Jamie, talk to Jamie.
0: Okay.
1: He's earned it. He's earned it. Pisses me off as a theme song, but he's earned this one. Ted goes to congratulate Roy in particular, which, the fact that he goes to congratulate Roy in particular, the camera again focuses on Nate.
0: Yeah, that was tough
1: who again seems very much a mix between both annoyed and more importantly feeling very out of place doesn't know what his role is in this world and increasingly is uncomfortable in it although i think it's time for
0: a life lesson with uncle lee Please. i'm not sure i'm not sure i like This I'm not sure how like how this is being portrayed, because I think that we're supposed to look at this and go, oh, man, I feel bad for Nate. Like they're they're kind of excluding him. I didn't. okay Yeah. Because me neither. Like I feel like in that situation, Roy did do something really good. I mean, that's why you brought him in to be an effective coach. And he did something that was very helpful to the team. Nate, as a participant in the coaching staff, and someone, you know, who has a, is a stakeholder with the team should have celebrated with Roy. Instead, he's kind of excluding himself based on a desire to be the center of attention or be the guy who, who does the good thing. This is a right. moment for him to join in and celebrate with Roy as opposed to excluding himself because he wants to be the star.
1: Right. And I think the episode does a good job ultimately at the end of framing that. We can feel bad for Nate for this, but not for what Nate thinks we should feel bad for. We can feel bad that Nate is so insecure, is in such a a kind of desperate moment in his life and, you know, identity, that he can't celebrate another person doing well. The only way he feels like he's succeeding in doing his job is to be over everybody else. And that if he's not feeling that way, he feels like he's, you know, worthless. And that's something that Nate needs to
0: work on for sure, because, you know, he... It's an it's not a sustainable way to exist in any organization. Absolutely not. They, you have to be the one with the good idea. You have to be the one that's the center of attention. Otherwise, you feel excluded.
1: Right. It's you're asking to inevitably to be disappointed and unhappy. You're yes. constantly balancing yourself on the knife's edge. That's not how you should value how you should value yourself. It's not how you should view your role. Nate is clearly valuable to the team. Everybody thinks so, but he can never be comfortable in that unless he's the one controlling the conversation. We even see. <coughs> exactly we even see that when when he's trying to booster himself up it's by abusing himself this is a problem this is a problem they've been setting up well on nate all season even a little bit of last season too and we're seeing it kind of continue to twist and morph in the darkness
0: yeah let's put the back bat signal out for dr sharon from the top of the towers let's put it out
1: (laughs) there is assistance that is needed here uh roy and jamie share a moment the only way the two of them can and i appreciate the two of them are finally actually seemingly bonding over you know middle
0: fingers but it's still it counts wasn't that cool yeah and then like there's a moment where jamie has just drawn the foul and he gets the guy to like fight him which by the way happens a lot in sports you have like this like troublemaker who gets the other team like wanting to fight him and when it happens and when it happens this guy always puts his hands up and looks at the ref. Ah, like, what did ah, I do? Ah, what did I do? That's Jamie's playing the role perfectly. But he does that. There's this quick moment where he sticks his tongue out in a super douchey way and looks yes. at Roy. And Roy rolls his eyes, but is smiling when it happens. I thought it was yeah. a great moment between the two of them. Well, and this is one of the important things
1: to show where Jamie's come. He's able to be a prick to the other team and not his own team. Yep. That's the thing he was never able to do before. He was just always a prick. As Ted expresses, at least he's our prick. As long as he can continue to direct the other team and still be a valuable member of this team and balance it out, the man's come a remarkable way. And I think we see that here in his celebration. That previously, last season, whenever he scored, it was just him celebrating, yelling out, Me! Me! Here, the moment of celebration, he's getting mobbed by the team and they're all celebrating together. Jamie's a member of this team now. He's just also reminded by Roy that he can be an All-Star too, and those can actually still work together.
0: Sometimes, when it's appropriate... Yeah,
1: uh, and as you noted before That damn theme song of him returns With My everyone in the stadium do chanting do do
0: do 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 Da-da. The first half
1: Ending in glorious fashion uh, everybody's, everybody's Having the time of their lives It's unexpected No one thought that Richmond would be here right now Back up in the owner's box Rebecca who is looking great Love that outfit that she has from here on out in this, in this episode.
0: I love that you give yourself one an episode and you you have to depend. Give it to you, me, please. You have to figure out which one it is where you call it out. This is the one <sighs> up in the owner's box looking fly.
1: Thank you. Uh, she's checking her messages with her two bows while Higgins continues to gag over the uh, subject of Beard and Jane's uh, relationship uh, drama. I love that Rebecca immediately knows what he's gagging over. There's just no doubt in her mind that it's absolutely uh, Beard and Jane. She seems to have a somewhat more positive view of Jane, which is interesting, of where she refers to Jane as intense but adorable, like a tipsy Reese Witherspoon playing running charades. One of the more charitable reads on Jane I think we've had so far.
0: So I think this is a reference to, do you remember when Reese Witherspoon's husband got arrested for a DUI a few years ago?
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Callback right there.
0: Yeah. And Reese Witherspoon, which, by the way, talk about white privilege, got mad and jumped on the officer's back, screaming at him. You don't know. Like, you don't know who I am. Like, she's obviously drunk, too. She like physically attacked in like a sort of weird, childish way. An officer. I feel like this is like a a tangential reference to that because that sounds like a Jane thing to do. Remind
1: me, is she still in prison for assault on a police officer? I mean, because of course she would be, right? Uh,
0: no, I, I believe the officer sat her down and said, man, I'm going to need you to calm down. Uh, didn't shoot her, by the way. Didn't just shoot her. Uh, so completely ridiculous, right? But I think this is kind of like drawing a parallel there. Because I feel like the character they set up with Jane would totally do something like this. Would oh, totally yeah, it would just be completely absolutely. out of control um, in a sort of like 12-year-old bratty way.
1: Rebecca also encourages Higgins the same way as Ted did. Just stay out of it, dude. And We're going to come back to our own views on this back, probably in Sports Center Top
0: Ten. Or I was earlier. wondering when we were going to address this. Let's do this point, Sports Yeah, one of my points in Sports Center Top Ten. Okay,
1: I'll say. Um, basically, tells him doesn't you don't help anything, and you're only going to be punished for it. Offering her story of the first time her parents split up, she supported her mom, and then when they got back together, she got blamed for it, and they didn't talk for nine months.
0: Not Rebecca's fault. Completely inappropriate thing for her mother to have done. Yes,
1: but also a predictable thing that has happened to me before when you take sides in a relationship snafu. This is a reasonable enough concern that they're offering here, even if it's also leaving out the idea of. We'll discuss it. Let's let it it ride. Let's let let it ride. Igan stubbornly persists that if you really care about someone, you should keep trying. While Keely reveals that apparently Jane is so jealous that she followed Keely home to check in on whether the fact that Beard was cheating on her with Ted, of all people.
0: So you give yourself ah. you give yourself one uh, one Rebecca an episode. I give myself one Keely an episode. Did you see what Keely was wearing when she showed up in the in the box?
1: Didn't process it too focused on Rebecca. Go on.
0: She was wearing these weird colorful leggings with UGG boots and picked out. She was absolutely <laughs> it looked crazy, but looked great. But like in a really weird like Instagram like give me the likes way. She she was like man. She was playing plain Keely. She dressed up as Keely.
1: We've talked about characters being in an 11 all season. That outfit is Keeley at an 11. That is Keely Prime.
0: Really liked it.
1: Uh, back in the game itself, uh, the score is tied with now only 10 minutes left in the game, and the Spurs are focusing almost entirely on nullifying Jamie, having deemed him the appropriate threat that he is. Yep. Unfortunately, Ted as we see, is in no position to assist his team. Uh-oh. As he is having a full-on building panic attack in the very much same style we saw last season, which I, again, credit to this show how beautifully they portray an actual panic attack and someone going through it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty close, right? I mean, you know, you start the you know, the hearing of things, the, the light kind of changing, the tick, what, the physical
1: the, tick. The physical tick with the hands, too, yeah. Um, we also notably while processing the crowd while processing everybody else we get two quotes two repeated lines echoing in his head from people that aren't there from last season did you make a note of what those were? Jamie's dad Jamie's dad you're better than that Jamie and Ted's son just Jamie Tart which is really interesting those lines are reverberating in his head in his head there's a lot to unpack I feel
0: there yeah so I'll give my theory now I mean I think that obviously it's real. you know there's some some Issue with his father that's unresolved, and so the the father son relationship is a, is a trigger for him. But I also think that there was a level of Ted losing some confidence in his ability to do the job because I think he felt like yeah. he had he's not done a good job by Jamie. Weirdly enough, when Roy turned to him and said, "You fucked him up," we laughed in the moment. But I think this is meant to show us that 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 hit Ted a little hard. Um, well, it, it, and I it, wonder. It that- go, yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, it hit that and it tied back to him being an absentee father to his son. And it connected back to those two threads of where the things that he's invested himself in, a very fatherly role, he feels like he's letting, them, letting the people down.
0: Yeah, because he, he has very much aligned himself as like a father figure for Jamie in absence of Jamie's father doing that role. And it, he feels like he probably has, has failed Jamie in some way. Uh, I also which, wonder- which is not at
1: all a fair read, but we can understand not, where he's no, coming not
0: from. Not at all, no, absolutely. Because as Roy pointed out, be a prick when it is appropriate. Jamie's ability to turn it on and off you can completely tie to Ted because yeah. he wouldn't he wasn't able to turn it on and off before. It does make me wonder, and I guess we'll get into it later in the recap and maybe in SportsCenter Top Ten. Spencer, I think we're, I think Ted's time as head coach of this team is on the clock. I'm not that sure a- he's long for being the head coach of this team. We've been
1: promised a three-season arc, and I'm holding this fucking show to it, but if you look at this episode just in isolation, man, they seem to be foreshadowing the idea that Ted is entering his sunset phase. Yes. Passing off the torch to someone else, dumping everything he can to build this organization, and now stepping aside for the more specialists to take over. I don't believe that's going to happen, but man, do they give some... What we, we now know this show loves to throw out red herrings in a way we didn't really necessarily know before so perfectly possible but they are at least wanting us to have that idea
0: I think we're getting to Coach Shelby
1: God help us fucking all if that's the case but yeah we'll see all right. uh, sorry where, where was I going yes he gets those things echoing in his head Beard I love that Beard always conscious of his best friend is the first one to notice the state that Ted's in. turns to him immediately asks basically are you okay dude Ted just says that he's got to go, citing vaguely his stomach, and does the locked-in, shoulders-down, head-facing-the-ground kind of waddle-slash-run out of the stadium. Um, It's leaving the pitch at a very precarious time. Everybody notices, all seemingly look on him with a certain amount of sympathy, all kind of assuming stomach- or health-related things, not really judging him too hard, but it very pointedly distracts everyone fans, the announcers, the players at a very key moment which seemingly contributes to the Spurs scoring and tying it up in the final minutes
0: oh for fuck's sake Lasso a
1: fan, you know, the fan trio by that point blame him very directly which I don't think is perfectly fair but well, they don't it know. does at least they don't, they're obviously going to blame Ted at all opportunity, it's what they do Rebecca also very much sees Ted and immediately immediately yep. knows yep. what it is
0: knows is overwhelmed to the point of having to go go find him um runs off so this right is this is him. the start of me pushing back on your initial thesis of the episode that somehow my shipping is has gone awry and this episode. i do not believe i think if anything it's been bolstered i mean the concern no, I, she has for him is 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 uh, top level
1: the power of their relationship is very much bolstered. The main shipping salvo that was thrown into our theories was what we thought was the main evidence. Sure, sure, sure. What we thought was the main evidence is the com- complete kibosh put on that. Right. But we're given other things to reaffirm that regardless of text threads, the scale and depth of their relationship is colossal.
0: It's, yeah, it's very, very deep and, and continuing to grow.
1: Absolutely. I, I love how much she just runs off immediately. Game, be damned. Everything else, be damned. She's going to check on Ted. Yep. Be it whatever motivation, whatever else you want to assign extra to it, the friendship the two of them have is just heartwarming. She immediately goes off to see that, see whether she can help. But because Ted's left, because the game is tied, the coaching staff is kind of left in a tizzy. Their no, usual linchpin that brings them all together is gone. So they kind of just start throwing out debate, throwing out theories. They argue how best they need to go aggressive right now because they need to score another point. Park the bus! Nate arrives in, yells with the team to park the bus, and unilaterally, and I mean unilaterally, he's not bringing any of the other coaches in on this. Nope. Boxing that entirely, decides three-player replacements from the, from the backup team, and orders them to go into full-on defensive posture. Everybody's confused. But it's notable they all go along with it, with very little second-guessing.
0: I think there's a lesson here, which is, Sometimes confidence will carry you where your position will not. Like he did not have, he does not have the position in the coaching staff or on the team to do this, that in this crucial moment in the FA cup, for everybody to turn to him of all people, like you would think that Roy would somehow make the call or beard, but it's the sheer confidence in which he delivers the command that carries him. I've been in rooms before of where there's a bit of a disaster. There's a bit of
1: a conflict and just someone steps up. It doesn't even matter who they are. It doesn't matter their position. doesn't matter their title. The first person that speaks and stands up and walks to the center of the room, that guy's in charge now because they're the one that rose to the occasion. That's what Nate does. Gets through all the conflict and through everything else, asserts command, and provides a united form of leadership that they desperately need in this moment. It seems like a weird call to everybody else present, but nobody else is ruling. Nobody else is declaring anything. So he's the one that's down in sure. So I'd
0: like to talk about what a genius strategy this is. Because Park the Bus. Oh, it's pulled, beautiful. You notice he pulls Danny off, Colin off, some of the strikers. He, all, of, all their aggressive players, yeah. Yeah, he, pull, he leaves Jamie in. He does leave Jamie, Jamie in, me. so he's got one striker left. But he pulls everybody back into a defensive formation. And in effect, what this does, he, man, he's playing the long game psychologically. Because what it does is it the other team, not expecting this at all, knowing that Richmond needs a goal. Panics and goes, Oh, why? Why? First off, they're confused. Why are they doing this? And second, I don't know how we're going to score when they're in such a defensive position. And what do they do? They start reaching. Oh,
1: aggressive. Full they on aggressive. start
0: reaching. They they, they start um, really d- doing things that are a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more risky because the team has parked the bus. It's harder to get through their defense. And in making those risky moves, what happens? They make a mistake with the ball. The counterattack <laughs> comes. Jamie's still left on the field for the counterattack. Uh, goal. I thought it was, you know, this, this show has purposely, I think not shown us a lot of soccer strategy. It's not really a soccer show. It's a show about people with soccer around it, but this was yeah. actually like a legit, like in the weeds sports strategy moment. I really appreciated it. it. It's such a, it shows where Nate's
1: skills are of where particular advice to individual players. It's not his thing. Working human emotion, not his thing, but reading soccer strategies We've seen before that is Nate's wheelhouse. That's yep. something he's really good at. Yeah. And he perfectly taps into the psychology of the team, and it works out beautifully. Richmond scores on a, on a Sam pass oh, to a Jamie Gould. Oh, yeah. Everybody's going nuts. But while that's happening, Rebecca is utterly indifferent to what's going on in the outside Doesn't world. Care. Utterly different to what's going on with the score. She is looking for Ted. Yep. She's roaming the inner, inner workings of the Richmond Stadium. She's not finding him anywhere. She does, however, as she's increasingly, with a lot of concern in her voice, finds, it appears to be Ted's cast-off coat, just lying alone outside the coach's office. Outside the coach's office. She picks down, she, reached, she grabs it, she immediately knows how severe this is. There is just outright sadness in her voice as she just says, Ted, just in time for all of the team to charge in at, all kinds of sort of 11 in excitement over what the hell just happened as they just won the quarterfinal at what was this? Yeah. It's the quarterfinal match to now enter the semifinals of the, if the FA cup.
0: So everyone's going insane. Spencer, do you have like an Apple TV or a Amazon fire stick or Roku or something?
1: Uh, Google uh, Google Chromecast, but yes. Yeah, okay, option. does
0: it have like a um like when you're not watching it for a while, like a screensaver that goes up on your television? Yeah, like, yes. Yeah, so like Apple TV has like, like 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 scapes, right, from drone shots or whatever of like oh yeah. London or whatever. I want my screensaver for my Apple TV now um, to be this team celebrating because oh, I had yeah. so, I was like breaking it down frame by frame. The actors did such a funny job. Like they're doing such weird things. Like Sam's doing oh, that yeah. like B52's like arms up dancing. Rojas is on a table swinging his jersey. Like they're was, just flailing and it's going through. It's, it's so funny because like obviously you're you're as a viewer the first time through you're meant to think, man, this is really out of place and your your heart is with Rebecca and the situation and Ted. But if you just mm-hmm. push that plot line to the side, there's a lot of comedy to be found in these guys celebrating in the locker room.
1: These guys do physical
0: comedy well, because they are
1: just... I, I would love, love to know what the instructions were, because I doubt they were coordinated. It was just, okay, I need all of you to be appear the most excited you have ever appeared in your lives, and go. And they do that.
0: Man, it worked well.
1: Uh, everybody's congratulating, everybody's celebrating, she, Rebecca's desperately trying to put on a good face. She goes over to congratulate Roy, but Roy, teammate that he is, immediately goes, nope, all Nate. All this should go to Nate right now. This isn't the Roy Kent effect at all. Nate won this game. Yep. So much so that look who is doing the post game coaches interview. Our good friend Nate the Great, Nathan Shelby. Now, go into the details. But if you had to rate Nate's first post game interview, scale of five, what would you give him?
0: Better than better than Ted's first one. Uh, I'm going to give it a, th- a three.
1: Three Salad three. Yeah, yeah because I, I, he's char-
0: he's charming, and I think um, he he holds up pretty well. And you know this this confusion between Wonder Kid and Wonder Kid. By the way, am I an idiot? I thought it was Wonder Kid too. I guess I'm dumb. I did not know it was Wonderkind. Wonderkind. I thought it was this Wonder is the, kid. This
1: is the progress of an English going from Germany, Wonderkind, to the UK, Wonderkind, to America, Wonder Kid. That is the route it went.
0: Yeah, I I thought it was one to kids. That made me laugh. I don't know. Maybe three is too high, but I I don't know. I thought he did an okay job, and I thought he was kind of charming. I I think he ultimately came off all right. I think everyone's going to focus on
1: the first half, and his success, even his error, just comes across as kind of charmingly incompetent, rather than anything more serious. So I said, everybody's leaving this on a high. Rebecca, leaving the stadium now at night, finds two people talking in the parking lot, because Higgins could not keep it in anymore. He's talking with Beard and tells him his thoughts about him and Jane, focusing on the key question of, you're a great man, does Jane make you feel great? Does Jane make you greater? Beard makes that kind of noise that people make when they don't like what you just said but have no real response to it, that kind of hard truth kind of response noise. And Higgins sees this, sees Beard kind of clench up and moves to apologize for instead Beard to move in for the hug, saying, I hear you, I get it, and we'll never speak of this again.
0: Pretty pretty good move there about Beard, I think. You know, he, he takes in the advice. He doesn't respond because he doesn't want to get in a back and forth about it. But he goes, I basically, I appreciate you, but, you know, let's leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca sees this, smiles, and seemingly is kind of emotionally
1: affected by it. So much she so seems the, to the take the advice, right? Yeah. Yeah. She does seem to take the advice. As everybody's moving apart, uh, Rebecca in her glorious car, Jane Oof. jumps out of the friggin' bushes ah! and just expresses how much she enjoyed she missed beard's scared face good god their relationship the two of them depart together discussing finn who is apparently like a rembrandt beautiful to look at but dim which seems to reassure beard a little bit uh, and her placing an oliver T- oliver twist Kango cap on beard's head apparently revealing that she has a bit of an oliver twist kink i gotta say jane pretty good looking jane's a pretty good looking woman, no doubt and I get the weirdest vibes on their relationship where it seems like Beard's getting something out of it, it's just not from any outside perspective a healthy relationship.
0: I think Beard thinks physically he's out of his league.
1: Oh, I think God, I think, she, I think she
0: looks better. I think he thinks she looks better than he does on the male-female equivalency scale. And so, therefore, he's willing to put up with a little bit more crazy. We all know these relationships where oh, the guy yeah, or the don't. woman think that they're in over their head from a physical standpoint. And, therefore, they put up with whatever. I think there might be a touch of that going on. There's obviously some beard just likes crazy. And he's sort of a weird guy. But I think about mm-hmm. 10 to 15% of it is like, Jane's pretty good looking.
1: That's
0: a fair read. Nate is, meanwhile,
1: alone in the coach's office, on his phone, watching himself blow up on Twitter. Yeah. Keely would be proud. Keeley would be proud. Roy walks in and compliments Nate again on his great fucking work today. Nate thanks him, smiles, but as Roy walks away, the smile immediately sours and disappears. As Nate instead turns back to his kind of self-congratulatory Twitter spiral. Showing again that even when Nate succeeds, it finds a way to turn all kinds of wrong because Nate's inner issues have not in any way been addressed.
0: I took that to mean that he saw some criticism on Twitter that he was flipping through and he saw some saw, he saw a negative comment. I wasn't sure because he, he spiral
1: faded when Roy walked away and after Roy left. It was he was just putting on a presentation for Roy, but is still very much unhappy with him and competing for a role on the team he i'll tell didn't you seem like he was at all frowning at the
0: twitter i'll tell you the negative comments will will hit you bad we've had a few negative comments on our our pod spencer i always what like, i know i do you, I know, you've I never the, told me any I of those from, well i'd hide you from them and delete them and scrub them from the internet but you know, it does always hit you when you're like oh crap that person that i don't know you know doesn't like this thing i'm really trying hard to do um i think that might end up being a thing for nate like i uh maybe we'll not but they they really focused on how fixated he was on the feedback on twitter so well uh, we already know that Keeley is a big social media person and she talks about it a lot they might they might connect that in a plot line later
1: possible i think right now the issue is just he views himself as in competition with roy and he feels like that he won one over roy right now so Nate almost feels like the guy where now that he's gotten a position, he's plotting Roy's demise because there can only be one.
0: I really hope that's not the route he's going because Roy, Roy is such a good counterbalance to him.
1: Yeah. And he offers things that Nate can't. And exactly. that's okay.
0: Yeah. And Nate offers things Roy can't, right? Because, I mean, Roy Roy's very much tactical. He's thinking like, okay. Yeah. Did, you, did you notice the advice he was giving? It was very much like, okay, you Mechanics. stand over there. You yes. stand over here. Move that way. Whereas Nathan was thinking strategy. much higher level strategy, psychology of the other team. So I think they work well together. Uh, Dr. Sharon is invited out for a drink
1: with the team. Again, showing how far she's come. Yeah. Uh, And she at least agrees. This time. They won the quarterfinal. This merits one drink. Um, It's a start. Rebecca's in her car, and she calls Ted because she's worried about him and encourages him to call her. It's also notable that part of the reason she's calling as well is that her first thought when she's about to go through what she knows is a difficult conversation with her mom, inspired by Higgins... She wants to talk to Ted to get his advice and pep talk before she does. So
0: I got the quote here, and I, I'm going to say Please. I'm going to say the quote because I think that there are many parts in this quote that show affection. There's a lot of like there like punches of affection. So I was a bit worried about you today, Punch. If you need me, do give me a call, Punch. I'm just on my way home for a very difficult conversation with my mother, and I could really use one of your pep talks, Punch. Anyway, take care, right. Punch. Like it's a lot of these little like flashes of affection within that that quote.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, By the time she
0: arrives home though
1: As we noted previously In very much succession manner The mom is left with a note simply addressed To sausage Uh, She's left the shepherd's pie in the fridge Because she's returned to her husband And her new Tesla With nothing new On banter and her mom not at home Rebecca turns to hunky Luca And prepares for another sexy night Of solace At the same moment though as she undresses and walks away from her phone she receives another message from ldn 152 apologizing for the delay and finally agreeing to meet her as the camera pans back and we reveal that we've been fed innumerable red herrings over the course of the last
0: few episodes because it has been sam all along Ugh. okay all right let's do it now well let's talk about this what do you think of this switch i don't
1: What I think of the switcheroo, I don't think they gave us enough for it to necessarily be a fair switcheroo to think it was Sam. They were purposely so working hard to believe that it was Ted the entire time. So that's one issue there. We did note previously that her and Sam did have a kind of a similar vibe at the one time they've had a, a couple times they've had a conversation together. It seemed like they resonated off each other well. So we did kind of note that previously and even joked how funny it would be if the two of them ever tried to, you know, hook up or whatever else. Um... But I'm mixed on the sudden switcheroo reveal. Other than that, I was honestly surprised by it.
0: I was surprised by as it. As a
1: relationship, though, as a potential relationship, that's a different conversation to unpack.
0: Okay. Well, I was surprised by it. I uh, I do think that it makes some sense because, I mean, the, these Tedisms are kind of close to Sam-isms. I mean, he says some of this corny crap bit, from time yeah. to time, too. So it's not... It's not out of the realm to think that, like, that voice that you were seeing on that iPhone on, on through the banter application it, was actually it can come Sam. From Sam. I hope what they do with this is they find out it's each other, they laugh, and they use that as a way to tell Keely, you know, I don't think this banter thing really works that well. This is kind of stupid. <laughs> And it, they kind of play it off as like a, you know what you really need? You need to mess it banter. You need some combination. You know what? It, you know what yes. you need? Match.com. Confiding these you need, up. The, you need the thing that already exists. Like you need the picture. You need the physical aspect. But you also need that sort of like communication part. Just focusing on one or the other really doesn't work. I hope that's what they do. If they go the route that like Rebecca really considers dating Sam and vice versa, I would, I would view that as um, it would be. I, I predict that the acting involved in that will be Kit Harrington Amelia Clark levels of awkward oh, I, I, in, oh. in the lack, in the lack of actual, um, any sort of chemistry there. I well, really hope they don't go that route.
1: I mean, they're even they're kind of showing it in the fact that Rebecca's having to keep both open and running at the same time yes. in terms of to mess and banter to balance out her actual relationship needs. Cause one can't really provide for the other. Um, I really hope they don't, just for a few logical reasons. I mean, there's a remarkable age difference between the two of them. She's in a direct position to power over him. She's own, she owns his contract to the point that they previously had negotiations over whether she can just straight up fire him if she wants to over the whole um, sponsorship issue. There's a massive difference in wealth and power. It doesn't work in my mind at all as a potential relationship, though looking at the various threads, some people were already really excited about that potential. I'm just not I don't I, think it may, I don't think it's i hope I don't think they, it's a relationship
0: that has any long term hope. we are completely aligned with this. I hope they toss it as soon as they find out. I hope it's laughed off. I hope they go nowhere with that. That would be uh something I'd have to sit through, but you did well, say if, that there's not a lot of music in this episode. I would just like to point out, jump man, jump man, jump man, whoa, dim boy up yep. spent like two or three weeks oh man, love the Drake jump man,
1: yeah, I mean. It, Part of the, I guess part of the problem I also have with the potential of the relationship with them is I see Sam as being like 12 emotionally. Yep. That's kind of where I see Sam. Because he always comes across as being very, very idealistic, young, naive kind of thing. I'm guessing he's actually like, I don't, I don't know how the, old the actor is, but the character comes across as like really early
0: 20s yeah. kind of thing. And, and like, you, there are some parallels in how him and Ted speak, but Ted is obviously much more emotionally mature and intelligent yeah. emotionally than Sam is. So I completely agree with you. Let's let's let hands up prayer emoji. Let's hope they do nothing with that.
1: We'll say. I think like you said, I think I really like the scenario you set up for how they can use this when the reveal comes. We'll find out.
0: Hit that nobly with my life hand. Woo!
1: Back in her office, though, Dr. Sharon is surprised to find Ted on her couch. Looking, I would say, more than a little bit worse for wear. Oddly, he seems to be wearing a different jacket, or the same jacket. I think he left his jacket on the floor, but he's got a big puffy coat around him right there. Oh, Ted. Ted just simply looks up and says he wants to make an appointment. And he's so in a state that he's unable to even keep it together long enough to hold her gaze. Just the fact that she's even looking at him causes him to kind of collapse a little bit in himself. As the song Only by RYX plays... And the credits run as we see Ted probably in what we, I would say the darkest moment we've seen him of the, since his panic attack last season.
0: I agree. There we go. Spencer shout out another week with the recap. I know it's uh we're getting into long episodes. I'm sure these recaps take you a long time, man. So much appreciated. Um, although there was some soccer here, right? I, you know, you, you described this episode to me as like not particularly quotable. I think that's fair. Uh, there was a lot there, a lot for us to unpack in the recap, mm-hmm. but a less quotable episode all the way around. I think Definitely. that is a a pretty good lead in to our segments. You want to go train wreck of the episode? Because I've got number one with a bullet gold medal award winner for yeah. my train wreck of the episode.
1: No, I got to say, I, I was baffled who to pick here. I had not even the slightest theory. I, I'm really going to depend on you here to offer a suggestion about who our train wreck is. Just was. as
0: difficult as a Christmas episode? Is that what you were thinking?
1: Possibly even more extreme. I mean, this was just an episode of where everyone was at a cloud nine. I've got nothing to even offer. Okay.
0: Ted gets train wrecked the episode, obviously. Oh, right. Yeah, forgot about him. Yeah, what a hot mess he is. Um, I think it starts with some uh, – I think right from the beginning you see either – one of two things he's doing when he's walking into that because they, they make a big – push a big focus on him walking into work and how he's interacting with everybody i think yeah there's some jokes there uh, 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 we you know call back joke we can laugh at laughing William. i do think an element of that though is one of two things it's either he's hiding something he's overcompensating for the fact that he's not doing particularly well emotionally or there is some level of Uh, like on the spectrum of bipolar. And he's a little bit manic in that moment. I I don't know which one it is, but it's something along those lines because I I think that they're trying to show you that he's a little over the top there. And then you have the Mm -hmm. comeback when he has the conversation about a kid forgetting the lunch. And then you have the eventual panic attack. So I feel like we're just getting um, uh, little threads throughout the episode that he's not doing well with his psychological health. It ultimately culminates in a panic attack.
1: I think we've been talking about that a little bit over the course of the season, where there's been a lot of times of where Ted feels a bit forced. But he's still funny, he's still got some great lines, but a lot of times it just feels like he's being the most Ted that he can possibly be in certain situations. Yep. It seems like it's almost been building, and yeah, the intro seems like it hammers that home, and we just see the spiral he goes on since from what would normally be minor little bits of data, but in his particular state, they are just, the whole dam is breaking. Yeah, So it's a really rough thing to see Ted in the state. And it doesn't seem like a state that you would realistically come back from quickly. No, in.
0: it shouldn't. No, And it, there may be a, like the show probably won't cover this. But in reality, if you're dealing with this type of thing, there's probably some level of therapy and a medical like a, a um, medication solution for you. And that, by the way, life little life lessons from Lee here. Don't be embarrassed about that. If you go to the psychiatrist and there's some level of medication that they you know, say that might be a good idea for you to try. Don't think it makes you weak. Don't think you're better than it. Don't think it's something you need to hide. Just give it a try. It's okay. Reduce the well, stigma around that.
1: And it's one of those things If where if there was less of a stigma, we would actually start to realize that actually a lot of people go to therapy. Actually, a lot of people are on medication. Yes. It's, it's okay. not that unusual nowadays. Yeah. It's, it's just yeah. P- most people don't
0: talk about it. It's absolutely okay. Uh, I would say my, my honorable mention this week for Trainwreck of the episode, I'm going to give to Rebecca's mom, who's a hot mess. Oh, God. But it seems to be
1: controlled you know, chaos, right? Re- Rebecca's mom or Nate, I feel like your honorable mentions there. Nate, despite his incredible successes, we're seeing how much the successes just go wrong when they get placed in Nate and Nate's left alone. Uh, but I think Rebecca's mom earns the more reasonable mention that she's apparently been a train wreck for like, you know, 25 years.
0: Yeah, I feel like our ability to accurately. And clearly, find a train wreck of the episode for this segment negatively correlates with my enjoyment of the episode. Right? Because when I enjoy the episode, it's everybody <laughs> just fucking around options. and making jokes. Yeah. But when it's a big, like, sort of dramatic episode like this one is, you can usually find a train wreck of the episode. Absolutely. All right. Um, Sports Center top ten.
1: Let's let's address this first. Okay. Higgins Higgins versus Ted, uh, Nate, and Rebecca's advice on telling a friend your own thoughts about their relationship. Okay. Let's Where make that you like?
0: your Sports Center top ten one. Okay yeah that's what i'm doing okay um i am going to do something uh that's going to frustrate you i am going to let it ride to my life lessons with ted segment because i do have some some advice around this so um i'm going to say that i I will address that in my life lessons with ted but i will say for for this part of the conversation before i kick it back over to you that i don't think there's an easy answer here i don't i don't think you can just black and white say one thing or the other what did you think
1: I absolutely, I think there's a balance that has to be achieved. I'll say that every fiber of my being resonates with don't get involved, don't get involved, don't get involved, don't get involved. Because A, I don't like to get involved in other people's business, period. And B, the times I have, it can go disastrous so fast. However, if you see a friend honestly in that kind of a relationship that is straight up wrong or abusive or just taking away enjoyment and happiness from their life a certain polite careful delicate degree of just talking them about it and talking them through it maybe helping them reach a certain decision on it it's a necessary part of being a friend but it is such a difficult rope to walk in terms of doing those things because particularly when you start to become friends with both aspects of the relationship too which can get even worse so I don't think there's an easy answer. I think it's a very difficult situation that friends find in, and I share Higgins' difficulties when it comes to this of where you want to help, you want to intervene. It feels bad not to, but dear God, how do you go about it in a way that doesn't equal both disasters for you and possibly even more hurtful to them?
0: I've got a life lessons with Lee here that you're not going to like. Are you ready for it? Oh God, uh, yeah, please, you're going to dislike on. this one. So if you're fr- you have a friend, right, and a good friend, and they get in a relationship with someone, um, yeah. Try to try to not do the. I'm going to become independently friends with the other other. Can't do it, man. That, I can't do it. Yeah, I, know I do I, it all the time. I know you're not going to like that. Spencer's a big fan of this. I, don't do. not do do like. Just stay friends with your buddy. Don't feel the need. It. it happens all time. Don't feel the need to create a separate, independent relationship with that person's significant other. It's kind of weird, but it also puts everybody in an awkward position if they ever split. I mean. Maybe, maybe consider this if the person's like married for like 10 years or something, then it might not be as big a deal, but, but I I have these these friends that do it. You're one of them, but like, you're not nowhere near the worst I've ever seen that create these independent relationships with somebody's significant other. And it puts everybody in an awkward position. And it's like, just look, just just stay friends with your buddy. Be cordial to the other person. (laughs) It's much easier for all involved.
1: I'm a pretty friendly person by nature, and so I try to, you know, get nice and get, friend- get, get, get develop a close relationship with a lot of people I'm around. I've been doing that with respect to friends, significant others since I was like freaking twelve. And as you note, dear God, does that work out painfully in terms of when breakups happen?
0: Yeah, it can be super weird. So to the extent your personality allows you, try to try to hang hang off of that uh still be Can't nice still be nice but but don't, don't be like best friends with your buddies so
1: are you suggesting that i go straight nate when it comes to you know friends significant others just straight up call referred to them as a what was, it, what was it, a blithering kestrel or
0: things along those lines no blithering kestrel call the be, be ted you know ted's like oh yeah good to see you um my sports Ted. Okay. To straight up depression gotcha is a reference to esther perel you know, who this one, this lady was, it's uh, Rebecca's no, mom I made the reference. It's a Belgian psychotherapist of Polish Jewish descent who has explored the tension between the need for security, love, belonging, and closeness, and the need for freedom, erotic desire, adventure, and distance in human relationships. Doesn't that make sense that she would be bringing this up in the midst of this potential split with her, her husband, the need for <sighs> the need for the security that he provides, the long-term relationship, the money, et cetera, et cetera. And then how she says, in the last few years of my life i'm going to enjoy myself i'm going to be free i'm going to be out there flying away and enjoying everything that life has to offer so i think the reference to esther perel who i had no idea who it was pretty on the nose so she, you know again good good move on the writers
1: nice to well done uh next one from me roy kent's style of coaching the what that man brings sorry you, you want to say something on that one no I no already, no already. You go ahead no Mm-mm. The level of personal tailoring, the level of meeting people on their own terms and speaking to them with their language that he offers in the moment with just well-meaning, well-thought-out advice that is perfect for what they need at that time, the man's a natural coach. It's really impressive to see how well he does at it.
0: Okay, um, I think I'm going to go with H.R. Puffin Stuff.
1: Please explain to our audience what H.R. Puffin Stuff is because I had no idea until I looked it up. Um
0: So HR Puffin stuff was a children's show from the seventies, and it was very short-lived. It was only like seventeen episodes of the show Mm -hmm. and i'm going to read you i had heard of this but i didn't really know a lot about it i think i'd caught a reference from like an older older my older brother maybe one time hr puff and stuff introduced the cross most used plot scenario of a fairy tale of good versus evil as well as their secondary plot scenario of the stranger in a strange land the show centered on a shipwreck boy named jimmy played by blah, blah 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 he's 11 years old when he arrives on the island and turns 12 in the episode blah 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 so it's like this sort of like a deserted island thing of good versus evil, as well as a stranger in a strange land, uh-huh. and that's the show. Huh. Um, so uh, sort of weird, re- sort of weird esoteric reference, as you mentioned by Ted. But that's that's what I got on HR Puff and stuff. I did do a quick uh, watch of a little bit of an episode on YouTube. Um, gonna gonna tell our audience it's a stay away. You don't need to watch it. It's full. It's
1: full size, like adult size puppets, right?
0: Yeah, it's pretty strange. So, it's stay away. You don't need it.
1: And, and from what I read, HR Puffin stuff is a Scottish dragon who is the mayor of an island. Do I got that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure people that grew up in the early and mid '70s really appreciated that show.
0: All right. Next on your sports at top ten.
1: Ah. <sighs> No, no, no. I want to. I want to get faster to uh, life advice with life advice with Late. There was a lot of great moments in this episode, but I really want to hear some of the life advice with Lay before we get get much longer.
0: Okay, I got two. The one get, is give me the two. One is running charades. What's running charades? You don't know running charades? Okay, we can leave it at that. And then okay, Steve Weeps against Billy Mitchell. Donkey Kong. Yes, yeah, so these are two gamers. Who battled to reach 1 million points in Donkey Kong, a feat Mitchell appeared to do first, but, dumb, 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 drama, drama, drama. There was accusations against Mitchell, which were a little bit complicated, but basically what it is is that he used what's called a MAM, M-A-M-E, emulator, rather than the Mm -hmm. arcade circuit board, to achieve the million point game on donkey kong thus wasn't authentic thus making his achievements invalid and giving in a very controversial decision pulling the championship belt off of uh mitchell and giving it to steve weeps so there you go
1: a very controversial moment that is still
0: argued to this day and isn't there like a um a documentary about this yeah there's a 2000 documentary about it um which that is not a stay away, by the way. The idea that they made a documentary about two guys trying to Absolutely. beat the high score of King Kong, that is on my, that is a Saturday night viewing for me. I'm going to watch that. Documentaries on niche subjects are just
1: my jam. Those are so much fun. With like full in, absolute passion bringing to bear on a subject that maybe like a very limited audience would seem to care about. Those are just
0: fun. Okay. All right. You ready for Life Lessons with Ted? Very. Okay. Life lessons with Ted. So the first one I'm going to do is, um, this is something that we talked about a little bit with Ted's journey and it definitely his journey within the episode, but in the larger arc of the two seasons. And it's something that is hard to do. It takes years and years and years to do, but I think everybody should be striving toward it. And that is to learn the warning signs of your mental health. When when you have certain things that are creeping into your, to your day, to your personality, to your reactions to things, that are warning signs that your mental health are not is not good you need to not you need to but it's good to start picking up on those things and trying to learn yourself and it's not easy because those things creep in and they are uh they're hard to immediately identify but over the years with work potentially with a psychiatrist but you know not necessarily you can start to identify those things. And it, m- it might just be snapping at somebody. It might be sleeping more than you normally do. It might be crying at stuff like movies, television shows that you don't normally. It, oftentimes, it can be very subtle things that creep into your life that give you an idea that your mental health's not great. And it, that could be um, a place that you go ahead and address it instead of letting it get to the point that Ted did. So what I would say right. is, as you're on this journey of life, as you're doing the things um, you know, that that are difficult in life and you're going through ups and downs, try to learn yourself, try to learn those early indicators and try to then immediately take steps to improve your mental health if possible.
1: That's a great thing to point out because I know a lot of people that tend to rely on their close friends or loved ones to point out when those signs are there rather than necessarily being aware of them themselves. And so the degree to which you can already know in advance rather than relying on others, a very useful
0: thing. And it gets you, first off, it's not necessarily a fair thing to ask someone else to do. And yeah. and second, it gets you out of the no, I'm not. No, you're wrong. I'm fine. Back and forth, which is not good for anybody. It, try to learn Save them on the your defensiveness. Own. It takes time. It's not an easy thing to do, but try to do that. Um, the second, you're going to be surprised by this one. Here's the quote:
1: I'm always surprised. What
0: you made him a team player. You got him to pass and shit, and in doing so, you made him average. Because Jamie, deep down, at your core, you are a prick. So just be a prick. Here's the life lesson in that. Go on. Here's the life lesson in that. Is that when you are doing things to try to better yourself, either within the context of a potential activity, job, game, life, relationship, whatever, when you're trying to better yourself, don't lose the thing that makes you unique. Don't lose the thing mm-hmm. that makes people love you. You might be try- like, you know, like for, here's a good example, right? Like for years, I was a ball buster. I made fun of people. Um, and mm-hmm. joked around and that's something my friends really really liked but then there i went through a period of like thinking man I, I think i overdo that i think i really do that too much to people and, and they don't really like it and so i i got no, a, we love it exactly there you go there see ladies and gentlemen that's my point is that i went too far away from it my friends were like whoa don't stop that like that's the thing that we really look forward to when you come over right so there you go like don't try not to lose yourself in self-betterment
1: and this factors so perfectly into the example with Jamie of where being a prick is—it can be a fun part of a relationship with a team, with loved ones, with friends. That can be a part of the dynamic. That's a significant portion of a lot of guys' relationships that kind of banter with each other. So long as it doesn't become a thing of where it actually destabilizes the relationships. There's a balance to things, but don't lose what actually makes you part of the group.
0: Exactly. And the final one and this is the one I alluded to. This is the one I let it ride when you brought it up Thank earlier you. the sports <laughs> center top 10, and that is when the, I'm going to I'm going to sp- specifically for when your friend is in a relationship and for whatever okay. reason you don't approve. You can you can question if it's even your right to approve or not approve, but let's say in your mind you don't approve. What do you do? You have got to think about your reaction within the context of the person, the personality, and the nature of your relationship. Do not fall into the trap that this show does of... You always say something or you always don't. There are people. Absolutely. There are people where given the nature of your relationship, given your history and given their, their personality, it makes perfect sense to approach them. They will take the advice. They'll have an open and honest conversation with you about it. They may even have multiple conversations with you about it as the, as the relationship progresses and they will not be the worst for wear for it. There are other people, though, that will shut down, will get mad at you, will say it's not your business and will hate you forever. And you have to like you. that's a thing you learn about the person, right? So don't don't think in your mind like don't do what the show did is what i'm trying to say don't don't don't, don't say i always do this or i always do that try to tailor it to the specific to the specific situation
1: yeah don't treat what the show did as generalized advice as a one size fits all solution to this scenario because i think you also referenced a key, key aspect of this too when you have these feelings but someone else's relationship ponder yourself why you have those feelings because it may not necessarily be any problem with them it may just be an issue that you're having
0: right yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, so totally think about it through through the individualized context of the situation. And there you go, Spencer. I think that might have been the longest Ted's life lesson, and it might have been the most serious that we ever did. So we might we might have lost our our audience at this point. Maybe, maybe nobody's listening they're, anymore.
1: They're with you, man. They're following this advice in a very one-size-fits-all kind of manner. They're taking this advice and applying it to every situation in their lives. And I think the conclusions you just reached really say it's a good thing for them to do.
0: Okay. Well, I think that is... The end of our segment, Spencer, do you have any concluding thoughts about the episode?
1: This feels like, you know, I've used this term a few times, this feels like one of the linchpin episodes of the season, of where this is one of the things that the entire season has been kind of building toward and is going to reverberate around. And it's going to be really curious to see where they go from this. I will find this similar to how I'm now feeling about episode three, really disappointing if they don't, if they just like brush this over and don't come back to it. I don't think they can. This really seems like the direction they've been going in the entire time. But this next episode is the kind of opportunity to stick the landing about what's the aftermath from this? What's the path forward? Where do we chart from here?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who were upset with episode three because you didn't get the resolution of what Sam did and and the the heaviness of that and how it would have had these far reaching impacts. I think the show folks, if you're waiting for that, I'm sorry. I think the folk I think the show's glossed over that. I don't think we're coming back to it. I do hope that there's some resolution in Ted's mental health issue. And I do think we're going to get that. Yeah. But the whole thing that they did in the last episode of basically the breaking the fourth wall and saying, buckle up folks, we got this. Like, trust us. We're going to land this plane. I'm not having a lot of faith with it on the romance side because I think, Oh wow. I think the thing that they did with Sam, it was a swerve. Okay. I I just think it's a, it's a nothing burger for the, for the, plots and the journeys of the romance of these characters it does well, nothing it's a red herring i don't i'm not a big fan well
1: it's was, it was an interesting thing of where we were probably because the show itself was feeding us that expecting a romantic comedy use of that but now neither of us think that there's any future in what they've now offered for that scenario so it doesn't really have the romantic comedy resolution it has just the a different kind of purpose. It's either just a one-off joke or one-off swerve, just to have something unexpected, or they're going to go in a direction that we maybe don't want to wonder like.
0: Yeah. I don't know, man. Well, we'll see though. Um, Ultimately an engaging episode though. Not my favorite. Uh, We do this at the end of every episode. I ask you not to rate the episodes as one, two, three, but to give a general, is it in your top half, top quarter, bottom half, bottom quarter? I'll say for me, it's not necessarily in the bottom corner quarter of episodes, but it's somewhere between that bottom 25 and 50%. It's definitely in my, my bottom half uh, of episodes as far as my particular enjoyment on it. What did you think?
1: Uh, again, it's really becoming hard now to view these episodes in, isol- in isolation just in terms of being able to judge them, just from what degree they'll ultimately factor in and where the season's going to go. But as it stands... For its effect, for its impact, and I think for its importance, it's definitely one of the best episodes or most important episodes of this season, and possibly one of the most important episodes of the show. Overall enjoyment of it, eh, top half, but not definitely not in the, top, in the absolute top of the list. But I think as an important episode. This one's gonna this one's gonna resonate for a while.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I agree with you. Although you know, obviously, I'm here for the jokes, the pop culture references, the silly yeah, yeah, moments. I mean, didn't give me a lot of I'm, that. I'm, how many lassoisms did you really get this episode yeah. did you get what really any to save to use for future just just yeah it wasn't it wasn't a lot yeah, uh, one I will use, though, is, hey, tell your mom I said happy birthday. And whatever you decide to get her, tell her it was from the both of us. I might use that one in the future. Uh, 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 <laughs> Pretty good. Um, okay. Uh, well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, the, the listenership of this podcast continues to grow. Spencer and I are sort of gobsmacked by the numbers. We do have a lot of folks who are out there giving us ratings, giving us comments. I want to shout out to Kakalier. I want to sh- shout out to Thor Gunnarsson, uh, Jensen68. 5127, uh, Daydreamer, 1682. All these folks, Spencer, all these folks listened, took the time Mm -hmm. to rate, and took the time to give us a review and and, and actually put their fingers to the keyboard and gave us a review. Uh, I am really appreciative of that. Whenever people do that, good or bad, um, I, I do like to hear your feedback. So, Please, whatever podcast platform that you're listening, please rate, review, subscribe if you like the podcast. That way it will show up in your feed magically as soon as we post them every Saturday. And you can listen to us continue to review Ted Lasso here on The Lasso Lowdown. And I will like to give a plug before we wrap up here. And that is another pod on the Mangum Talks Podcast Network. If you are a fan of Harry Potter, I highly suggest that you <laughs> you search a show called Pottering Around. Spencer does it with a few of our our other folks here on the Mangum Talks podcast network. And I think it's really, really good. It's a chapter by chapter reread of Harry Potter. They have great segments. It's funny. And how about this one for a little bit of a tease? The intro is Spencer humming the Harry Potter songs from the movies. Oh God, they're still doing that? Absolutely is the intro to the pod. I think it's a great pod. So if you like the the type of style of this podcast where there's segments, there's jokes, there's reviewing of material that you really like. If you like Harry Potter, Go check out Pottery Around chapter by chapter reread of the Harry Potter series. That is it for the housekeeping Spencer. I think that concludes this episode of The Last So Lowdown. Thanks everybody for listening. We will be back with you. The episodes drop on Apple Plus every Friday, and we are here with you the day after. We post these podcasts every Saturday. So that means we will be back with you next Saturday, reviewing season two, episode seven. Thanks everybody for listening. Okay, we're doing something unprecedented here. We what? just wrapped up the episode. It was over. And then we started to save our files. We started to walk away. And I said, Spencer, there was something I wish that I had mentioned on the podcast. And Spencer, gamely podcast professional that he is, said, stop. Don't tell me. Let's record a new file. Let's do it at the end of the episode. The post-credits scene that we're doing here on The Lasso Lowdown. We're going to do a little theory crafting. little theory crafting about where things are going. Spencer, do you want to start? Do you want me to start? Well, sir,
1: are we watching Game of Thrones once again? The theory crafting on Ted Lasso? This un- we've never even attempted
0: this. I think that the plots are getting intricate enough now, and they're doing so much character development. I think we can do a little theory crafting.
1: Let's, let's throw out one here, because I think, I think you and I are both of the same mind about there's a question this episode is asking that is going to be really curious to see how they answer going forward.
0: I sort of uh, offhandedly mentioned it before, but we're going to address it face on now, which is how long will Ted continue being the coach of Richmond? And it is my belief, I could be wrong, but this is just my theory, that as soon as the next episode, Ted will not be the coach of Richmond anymore. And it will be voluntary, and it'll probably be after talking to Dr. Sharon, she'll probably say something like, you know, you really need to take a break to work on yourself. He'll agree. He'll step aside, and I think Nathan Shelby will be appointed the new head coach of Richmond here in the next episode. Possibly too. but I'm thinking next episode. Spencer, what do you think about the theory? And then do you have any theories of your own?
1: The thing I'm curious about is, do you believe this will be permanent? Or if you believe it's temporary, how long-term will it be in terms of Ted stepping aside as head coach of Richmond?
0: It will start temporary, and Ted will be back as head coach next season.
1: Next season, I'm picturing, I'm agreeing with an aspect of this. I think Ted Wyther stepped back, maybe not even formally, but informally, for two episodes. And I think he'll return in triumphant fashion, episode 9, episode 10 of of, of this season. But I think this is setting up that long-term, like end of next season, a passing the torch to Nate as the new head coach of Richmond.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, Nate's going to be the ultimate head coach. And I I don't think Roy's going to have a problem with it. I don't think Roy wants to be the head coach. I don't so think, I think the fact the fact that Nathan thinks they're in competition, I think, is a little misguided. I'm not sure Roy views himself that way.
1: I'll be really curious to see how long it takes for that to come to a direct head, because the looks that Nate was giving uh, Roy and the reaction that Nate was having to Roy being celebrated, that needs to come out in the open fairly quickly. Otherwise, that's going to be straight up Mozart-Salieri kind of shit here before too long, of where... I wouldn't put it past Nate to actually try to do things to sabotage Roy or try to get things to get Roy out of the way.
0: Yeah, and that's crazy because I'm not sure Roy views it that way. So there you go. That's the theory that I wanted to, to make sure we codified. Now, of course, if this theory does not pan out, I'll just remove this section from the podcast <laughs> after next episode. <laughs> never existed. And then it'll never, it'd be like it never existed. Are there, that's that's my big theory. Spencer, do you have any other theories while we're doing theory time uh, before we wrap up?
1: No, I think this is a really, really most important theory to focus on because this episode more than ever before, teased that idea that Ted's role may not be permanent. We have other coaches stepping in to fill in. We have other coaches succeeding. We have players seemingly working better off their styles. The role that Ted had in bringing the team together, this episode-wise, almost feels celebrated but superfluous. At least in terms of what they actively need going forward
0: agreed yeah it was the, it, they minimized the win so much it makes me think that they're not going to tie the team's success to ted's success anymore which separates him from the team and makes him you know not, not the coach anymore so i think that's going to happen that's my that's my take
1: and it may be something that ted actually just kind of needs i don't know how much longer he can deal with or at least as in his current state i don't think he can much longer deal with the distance unless he gets some help in terms of processing it
0: i agree okay we're ready to wrap up theory time absolutely okay All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us here in this post-credit scene. We'll be back with you next week.